Welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all different walks of life, using music to plot a map from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Um, apologies for only getting one episode out this month. Um, I was had a bunch of stuff lined up and then that got thrown into chaos when I found out a good friend of mine, ex-band member, I guess, but more more than next band member, a good friend, um, Ricky Taylor, passed away. Um, unfortunately, left behind two kids and a fantastic partner, um, Ashley. Um, good friend of a lot of guests on the podcast that I've had. Uh, played in a band with Peter Bordy, who I spoke to a couple of months back um, on the podcast, and yeah, so that kind of rocked the foundations. Um, we had a big, he had a, we had a, he had a big, you know, there was a big turnout for his funeral last Friday, and um, I, yeah, Ricky was a big surfer, big avid surfer, and well-respected member of the surfing community around Maroubra, <clears throat> um, and as I guess the tradition goes, um, a bunch of his, a bunch of his surfing mates organised a paddle out, and I was, I took part in it, and it was pretty amazing. Um, and I probably won't post videos of it, but if you're interested to see what a paddle out is, and you're not sure what it is or whatever, shoot me a message, and I'll send you a link because it's um, it was pretty amazing, and it's pretty, you know, it's a pretty humbling experience. Um, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was emotional. Emotional is the best word. Um, and I just want to, this is going to be a long intro, and I apologize for that now. Um, so Ryan Wilmot, who I had in one of the early episodes, um, who does a website called the Rest Assured Zine, restassuredzine.com, and who was also a really good friend of Ricky's, um, I guess wrote a, you know, a, a piece on his website called Remembering Ricky Taylor and I asked him if it's okay if I could read it because I think it's pretty amazing and it's just it sums him up um so yeah so this is what Ryan Wilmot wrote uh, I can't remember that I can't exactly recall the time I first met Rick but it was in the late 1990s at a hardcore show in Sydney I can however recall the first time I saw Rick playing a band it was with Pitbull Attack, a band fronted by a menacing and very large human from New York named Doug. Pitbull Attack played a straightforward, old-school New York hardcore style, and with Doug front and center, they almost looked the part to boot. I say almost in, no, not in disrespect, but more so that the band's bass player, rather than pulling a hard, staunch, tough guy face, had a smile from ear to ear. Every song, every time they played, that bass player was the smiling assassin Ricky Taylor. In much the same way that one sticks out their tongue while concentrating, when Ricky would play, he'd be grinning from ear to ear. I once asked Ricky why he's smiling when he plays. He told me he couldn't help it. When he thinks about what he's playing and what's coming up in a song, he just gets excited and has to pinch himself He's in a, that he's in a band. I struck up a, an immediate friendship with Ricky from the first time I met him. He was that likeable a guy. 
it was hard not to really back then Sydney in Sydney hardcore circles it wasn't cool to be a surfer you were instantly labeled a gronk none of this mattered to Rick he didn't give a fuck he was proud of who he was proud to be a surfer shamelessly loved his footy and was very comfortable in his own identity we got along just great Ricky even took to the streets to march for the reinstatement of his beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs in the NRL competition. In 2014, the Rabbitohs clinched their first premiership in over 40 years, and I'm glad Ricky was able to witness and celebrate the milestone. It's a memory he would have treasured, no doubt. Once Pitbull Attack came to an end, Ricky started up restraint, made up for some local kids from the Maroubra area. Both Pete's in the in restraint, Pete Burski and Peter Bordy were underage when restraint started playing, and their drummer Steve, the younger brother of Ricky's then girlfriend Justine. I could tell they all looked up to Ricky immensely. I got a sense he was a godfather figure at the beach for them, as he was not only a respected surfer, already covered in tattoos, but also played in a hardcore band. I think I even think at the time Peter Bordy was serving his electrician apprenticeship under Ricky and was also being taught the world of hardcore every day through the stereo in the van. I could tell they respected Rick a lot, and they hung out on his every word. During the rest, during It was during restraint when Rick had developed an interest in snowboarding. Being a regular visit to the snowy mountains myself, I'd try to catch up with Rick for a few laps whenever he was around. Having grown up surfing at Maroubra his whole life, snowboarding represented a new challenge for Rick and, have, and one he had decided to pursue vigorously. Rick would quiz me about how long he'd been riding for and how long it would take to learn tricks. I could see in his mind ticking over as he worked out a long-term plan for snowboarding goals to achieve. He was extremely motivated and it didn't take Rick long to progress beyond my feeble coaching attempts. At this point, Ricky was spending a few. Uh, at this point, I was spending a few months of the year in Canada for the northern winter. Whilst in Whistler, whilst living in Whistler, Ricky got in touch with me and tell me he, to tell me he was coming over. One of his friends from Maroubra was working at a club called the Savage Beagle, and Rick was coming over to crash with him. Rick later took pride in telling me he'd decided to rename the club the Bitey Squirrel. He found this hilarious as the club was basically a country and western bar and in inhabited by a very lame over-30s crowd, not savage at all. We met up for a beer at The Boots, which was the local redneck strip club punk rock venue in Whistler. A few beers in, Red, Rick headed to the bar for some of the more some more refreshments. Redneck guy and his girlfriend come over to come along and sit opposite me on the shared table and start abusing me for having my feet on the seat. As I was stretching my legs, as I was stretching my legs, sorry. The guy was clearly looking for a fight, probably trying to impress his girlfriend. Him being much larger than me, and me not being the confrontational type, I wasn't. I was wasn't ready to oblige. Uh, unbeknownst to me, whilst at the bar, Ricky had seen the whole situation take place. He slammed the beers down, got up in the guy's face. You don't want me to punch the fuck out of you in front of your girlfriend or what, cunt? And the guy looked at Rick. The guy looked Rick up and down, decided the declined the offer politely, and retreated to the door. If you were Ricky's friend, he had you back, no matter what, no matter when, no matter why. After restraint came to an end. Ricky started a new band, Taking Sides. The band played the first show at Hardcore 2003, and by this stage, Hardcore had doubled in popularity. Ricky was now playing in, bigger, in a bigger band to larger audiences and stepped up both his bass playing abilities and stage presence. 
Rick was comfortable on a larger stage and was now handling backups as well. The smile was still there occasionally, but the concentration levels had dialed down considerably as he was becoming more it was it was becoming more natural to him. The band grew with every release, and Rick was in his element. He got the sense this was another achievement ticked off the bucket list, something he'd always been hoping for. Taking Sides eventually ran its course over a four-year existence, and Rick moved to Vancouver to live for six years and married a Canadian girl named Ash and started a family of their own. Snowboarding had become his new release, a ready-made substitute for surfing. Not Not long after he moved back to Sydney, I caught up with Rick at my local beach one hot summer's day. He brought his family down the coast and I was stoked to see him. Fatherhood suited Rick and he wore it as a badge of honour. He was excited to introduce his kids to surfing and have them follow in his footsteps. He was a proud father and husband. He seemed content with life and I couldn't be more happy for him. I hadn't seen much of Rick in the last couple of years but got to catch up with him when taking sides reunited for a show. It was great to see him back on stage smiling having a ball. When I close my eyes and think of Ricky... This is how I picture him. My last moment, moment, last memory of him is also my first. No different, really. Just the same smile from ear to ear, some 20 years from one of the most genuine and nicest guys I was ever lucky enough to call a friend. I truly hope Ricky has found his peace and his mind is at ease now. So rest in power, Ricky Taylor. Um... A friend, a father, a husband, a son, and a brother to many. Um, and yeah, look, if you if you've got issues, just call someone. Just talk to someone. There's always someone there to listen. Um, I'm here. You may call. I'll talk to you. Um. I can't promise I can help, but I promise I'll fucking, I'll be there, if ever you need me, and everyone, anyone will be there, everyone will be there, but if you don't think you've got anyone, you can call Headspace, 1-800-650-890, Lifeline, 13-11-14, or Beyond Blue, 1-300-224-636, yeah, rest in peace, mate. So on today's episode, episode twenty-five, uh, we've got we've got Gabe Delane. Gabe, look, lucky enough to play in a band with Gabe, which we discuss uh, a band called Jungle Fever, and had a blast doing it, and had a blast obviously talking to Gabe. Gabe's Gabe's got a huge uh, eclectic taste in music. Um, some stuff will surprise you. Some stuff will be as obvious as. You know, the sky is blue and the grass is green. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode. It's a longish one. Um, yeah, I'll post the link of Willie's piece uh, in the next day or so. Well, once I've released this episode. Um, yeah, sorry I'm on such a downer. Um, this episode should pick us both up. Have a good one. Cheers. All right, My Age Podcast, episode 20-something, 24, maybe 25, maybe 40, yeah, maybe 25, let's call it 25. Um, I've got a very, very good friend, and in my opinion, um, and I'd say 
even if he wasn't on the other end of this Skype call, um, one of the best front people that Australian hardcore slash punk rock has ever produced. Um, Gabe Delane, what's going on? Not a lot, man. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, Appreciate the, it. You know, I be, like I mean every word of that too. Like, you know, being like so for like just we're gonna I'm gonna jump in with something really quickly. Um, Gabe and I played in a band called Jungle Fever together. Gabe was the front front man for what, four years of the band. Go for yeah, about that. I think oh four to oh eight thereabouts. Yeah, and, that'd be right. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to play in it for two years and. You know, it was some of the funnest songs that had being it had being in a band, and yeah, oh yeah. So, which I'm sure will come up sooner or later in this uh, conversation. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, sick. <laughs> so you've listened to a bunch of episodes, which is fantastic. Um, let's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to them all day at work. So, um, what especially you, when my mates mates are doing them, I'm always keen for something. What do you listen to? What other podcasts do you listen to? Uh all kinds of stuff. Let me grab my. I um mostly sort of I don't know a few footy ones, a few so sort of comedy ones, a bunch of uh, like politics ones. Um, oh yeah, got me fine. Uh, my top ones I've been listening to are Chapo Trap House. Okay, I've never heard that. Um, it's one of those uh, ones that's on the peripheries. Boys, which is Deezus and Mero. Yeah. Sorry. The Chapo Trap House is always one that's on the peripheries of um. People talk about it, but I never listen to it. I don't know why. Yeah, it's um, it's like a, it's a it's it's a politics podcast, but it's very um, it's as much an entertainment podcast as it is politics, and okay. it's a whole lot of shit talk and a whole lot lot of uh, yeah. lot of shit talking yeah, <laughs> on cool. everyone and everything. Yeah, see. I don't know it, it suits my kind of my politics, which I like a lot. So. Yep, yep. All right, so let's. You know, so started off how we started them all off. What were your parents? What did your parents listen to when they were younger? Um, well, they're both sort of they're both mid sixties boomers now. Yep. So they grew up in the sixties and seventies, and um, both of them, I guess, have pretty standard boomer taste. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, they love the Beatles, they love the Rolling Stones, they love Led Zeppelin, they love Jimi Hendrix. Uh, you know, mum uh, loves Van Morrison. Dad loves Jimi Hendrix. I don't know if I already said that, but very sort of standard um, '60s, '70s type stuff. Yeah, see, was was, like, there much, um, was there much music going on at the house when you were young? Like, were they into much music, or just a, just as a like a commodity, as a, as a background noise? Yeah, more. Um, neither are like terribly musical or anything. I think they just like music, like anyone likes music. You know, like. Yeah. It was definitely in my house. Um, uh, you know, they had a big record. Well, not you know, not a big record, a, a reasonable record collection. But we didn't have a record player because a bit after that. Um, so I used to just look at them, not listen to them. Yeah, yeah, fair uh, enough. Like a bunch of tapes. Uh, yeah, like I guess they they sort of always listened to music around and you know in the car at home. But it was never like. Like it was, it's not really their thing, but it's, it was definitely there. So yeah, sure. yeah. So I guess from a young age, I probably got well versed in, um, yeah, you know, just all that boomer canon, like all the standard stuff that all mums and dads seem to like, and um, yep, yeah. Which I don't know. Like I, I, it's not that I ever particularly liked or disliked that. It, it's just it was just there. Yeah. So I liked some of it. I don't like some of it. I liked some at the time. Hated some at the time. 
don't like most of it now. <laughs> so what are they? What were they doing when, around the time you were born? Like um, for work and where were they living and that kind of jazz? Yeah, well, I'm born and bred Adelaide boy, okay. and so are my parents. Um, Dad is a painter and builder. Um, I work with him these days, but he always has has done that. And Mum has sort of worked various office jobs on and off throughout her life. So fairly um, fairly standard sort of middle class Adelaide fair. Yeah. You know? And and they they never wanted to leave. Like they didn't. They just grew up there and didn't move elsewhere. Yeah, and probably of that generation, like neither did anything, especially job wise. You know, like they're very sort of rooted in what they did. Yeah. With their work, so I guess um, yeah, they but they travelled a lot when they were younger. So they had me, which I guess for for their time was maybe a bit older. Like they were sort of twenty eight, twenty nine when they had me, and um, sort of travelled through their twenties. So um. Yeah, did a big couple of those big um, together. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, they got married, but then sort of they got married reasonably young, but then didn't have me for like another eight years or something. And um, okay, yeah, travelled all through Europe and Asia and all that kind of stuff a couple of times um, before I was born. Um, yeah, and then just you know did the stando, bought a house, had some kids, kept working, blah blah blah. You know. Yep. All in Adelaide. Yeah, very Adelaide life. Yeah, very see. simple. <laughs> See, so like, what, um, do you remember much of the music? Like, do you remember much of music being on at home, or you, you didn't have a record player? So, what, like, why didn't they have a record player but had records? Um, I think it was just they still had all their records, but just it was probably the technological change I reckon at that time because it was uh, like, yeah, of course. So I'm this is like because well, I'm I think we're we're basically the same age, aren't we? Like, I was born eighty two. Yeah, I'm eighty one. Yeah, so yeah, so, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so sort of by the time it was sort of mid to late 80s, we're talking tapes. Yeah, of course. And then into CDs. So I think like they had a couple of crates of records, um, but probably through their record player. Like, like, was that, I think it was that time as well, like very, very pre vinyl being at all cool again. Yeah. So records were just a big, dumb, annoying thing. You have to, well, they still are, but a big, dumb, <laughs> yeah. annoying thing you've got to carry around when you move houses. Yeah, when you move houses, yeah. So to them, I think it was like, oh, we can't throw these out, but what's the bloody point of them? We can't even listen to them anymore. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, there were plenty of tapes in the house and tapes of stuff and, um, I mean, you know, radio was always on in the car, radio was on at home, um, tell me about mum and dad would tell me about bands they saw and you know all that kind of stuff have they got any cracking stories from bands they've seen oh just probably just mostly to do with their age just the stuff that they happen to see like yeah um, they oh they would they they definitely told me about seeing you know skyhooks or you know that sort of yeah. that mid, early mid 70s kind of vibe australian stuff the stuff that was just um, would have just been playing every weekend yeah, and those those bands just toured relentlessly around Australia too. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, a band like ACDC was probably playing in Adelaide every like two months or something throughout the mid-70s and stuff. Yeah. Um, but they do tell me a story, like they've, they've always told me a story about um, uh, Led Zeppelin toured probably, I don't know, probably sort of 74 or something I reckon. Yeah. It would have, they would have been in Adelaide, which is like a, it's a tennis uh, arena in 
Adelaide. Yeah, and yeah. they used to have concerts and stuff there. Um, yeah, they'd tell me a story about like pushing it, like, oh, well, not them them personally, but them and like a hundred other kids all pushing over the temporary fencing and like bum rushing into a... Uh, awesome. <laughs> which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I'm at that age and getting to see bands like that, probably at a time before, you know, tons of bands were touring all the time. So a band of that... And, and so that time would be massive. Yeah. So did they did they bum rush it for the sake of bum rushing, or were tickets sold out, or like what was the story with that? Yeah, I think. Well, I think um, that venue is a place like it's 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 sort of right just out of the city in Adelaide. It's right next to Adelaide Oval, and um, I think sort of the vibe because it's still they still have stuff there every now and then. Yeah. Like um, oh, what was that? Uh, oh, I've seen a couple of things there. Like when Warp Tour did that second mid 2000s return they played there and stuff so there still is stuff but it's one of those venues where sort of because of the way that it sits you can you can sort of sit outside and watch or listen yeah okay i think people used to do that all the time and so i think it was just one of those kids where uh, it's one of those things where a whole bunch of kids just like just rammed the fence and knocked it over pretty cool red hot all right so let's talk about some songs then um are there any particulars that stuck out or that your parents kind of drilled into you as a youngin um, well, not really. That's the thing. Like my parents have always sort of like, I guess with everything with them, they've, they've never really been really pushy with me or my sister or anything. And like with anything, it was always like they'd show us stuff, but never be like, you know, this is what you need to like ever. Um, cards across life. And I guess music was one of those as well. So they would always like, they'd always be playing stuff. It was never like you should like this or anything. Um, but I mean, I guess of all that stuff from that time, like I'm not a huge fan of that sort of era. Like um, most of the stuff that I like starts popping off sort of into the early mid-70s, I guess. But um, ACDC is probably the one band that they both love that I love as much of them, as, yeah, right. as much as them, as they that do. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, um, you know, like... like Because it's, it's this thing these days and um, he, Apple Music last year phone like as a deal you know they'd give away like six months or something and um he so for the first time like has no idea with technology he's no good at computers internet his phone whatever yeah how to use apple music and so he spent the past six months uh like playlists and stuff um and it's kind of funny because it's all the exact same music that he was listening to 30 years <laughs> it's stuff that i've i've sort of got him onto which is kind of funny but yeah. um but yeah, ACDC is probably the one band I think that uh, that yeah we that the three of us definitely love. Um, so yeah, so for my first song, uh, I chose um, ACDC's "Dirty Deeds" on Dirt Cheap. Good, powerful call. It's my favourite. Um, it's hard as fuck, um, and for me, it's sort of uh, it represents everything that's good about ACDC, which is like driving heavy drums riffage galore but repetitive yeah like yeah. rhythm guitar like proper fucking malcolm young rhythm guitar um and like obnoxious ridiculous lyrics and vocals which is the best thing about bon scott so fuck yeah um and it's one of those things like the more i listen to it these days the more i realize like it's it's so obvious just how much of an influence that era ACDC is on a lot of stuff that came after. Oh, very much um, so. 
like, you know, I like, listen to this song and I hear New York hardcore or heavy, like sort of more groovy, heavy metal, like heavier sort of style of metal as opposed to like brutal metal or whatever. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's one of those things I think like um, I mean today I've, all the songs I've chosen today are, are both songs that I liked as like when I was younger, but stuff that I still love now. See, um, or stuff that's definitely influenced me as well, and I can sort of look back and see how it's influenced me. Yeah. Um, and so like this era, this era ACDC to me is just the best thing this country has ever produced by a long shot. Huge like, cool. That's fantastic. That, but you know that run of albums. Like I'm not, I'm not a huge fan. Like I don't know everything about them, but I know, you know, I know the albums and I know the songs and the singles and stuff. But yep. there's that run where they put out about four albums in like three or four years or something, and every single one of those albums has at least three songs oh, that oh. probably be the Australian national anthem. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely timeless. Yeah, that bloody good. Yeah, um, and yeah, to me, this is just the best. I mean, I could have chosen High Voltage or TNT or something, but to me this is just just the way that this kicks in with the, just that just that brutal drums and guitar just rolling in. Um, oh, it's just perfect.
fuck yeah. Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Sheet. Um, one, definitely one of those bands that, like, I guess you, you'd like, well, in my opinion, and I find for myself personally, um, you listen to it as a kid and go, yeah, it's like, it's that song. And then as you get older, you're hearing the same song, but you're, you're realising why it is, what the why it has stood the test of time. Yeah, totally. Like that's... And how, how much it influenced, how much it's influenced stuff over time as well. Like it was influencing their contemporaries, was influencing stuff 10 years later, 20 years later, yeah. 30 years later, 40 years later it is now. Yeah. Um, and it's influenced generations upon generations. It's, and across across genres too, you know, yeah. like it's um, it influenced punk and metal as much as hard rock or indie rock or stadium rock or ever any rock based guitar stuff. Like just the, the the guitar stuff is just untouchable. It's so simple. That's why it's so good. Yeah, like yeah. It's not, and I think that's what that's what makes it so Australian to me. Like the uh, you know the, the the British stuff at the time was and the American stuff at the time. Is, it's a lot different vibe. Like it's a lot more guitar wank or silly vocals or, you know, tights and scarves type Aerosmith vibe or that kind of bullshit. Yeah. Whereas that just doesn't fly in Australia. And so, no. you know, like it's, it's jeans and denim jackets and yeah, like throwing a pint glass across a room it's, at someone. Like they, they dressed on a Tuesday like they dressed on a Saturday night kind of thing. It's just what they did. Exactly. And there's like, you know, you're not putting on. It's not Kiss, and you're not putting on your full outfit. Yeah. Or you know, you're not David Bowie. Yeah. You're just some scumbags that are playing the sickest shit ever. So. Yeah. Just crushing it. Which, and that's another thing that I think sort of it makes it really relatable to to hardcore or punk or something. You know, it's it's it takes away that level of performance and 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 you know, costume and stuff, which is fine. Like it's not something I hate, but it's I think that's something that's so key to that band and, yeah. and their legacy as well, as much as their music. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Sick. All right. Oh, yeah. Just start going? No, no, no. I'm just agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, sick. Um, so ACDC were, were a prime example of a, yeah, you watch it and go, okay, this is a bunch of guys that are doing stuff. Like was there yeah. other kind of music you listened to when you got a bit older or like kind of experiencing when you got a bit older that you're like, all right, this isn't just – like a put together band or a manufactured band, or whether this is a bunch of dudes or guys or girls just having a crack at it. Um, As a, like really for sure. a living thing. Not really sure. Probably until qu- quite a bit older, I think. Like okay, um, in the early days, I guess. As a like as a kid, kid, you know, like I'm talking, you know, like primary school, like when you're really first getting introduced to music. Yeah. Um, to me, it was just, I don't know, like it was just, I think for me. A lot of it was just the discovery of, of it all by myself. Um, listening to the radio, constantly rage. Uh, although any video shows that used to be on, you know, when we were kids on on, on TV on Saturday mornings and stuff. Yeah. Like when you're old enough that you get your first Walkman or, you know, radio in your bedroom or something. And um, I guess just that, that, that first sort of... The more I think back now, it's probably music is probably the first thing that you ever get the chance to explore on your own. Yeah. Make choices and discover your own tastes and stuff by yourself. Yeah, and and if you and if you're into it enough, you can use as some kind of identity. Yeah, and I mean, um, 
but as a kid, I guess it's, it's, it's a good few years before you're doing that. So it's more just that, like you're exponentially just hearing more and more and more, but you don't really know anything yet. Yeah. And so you're just absorbing anything and you don't know when stuff's from or where it's from or i mean you know that the beatles were 20 something years ago yeah and you know that michael jackson's now is now yeah but you don't know a lot more than that like, yeah yeah and, and um and how and so how music evolved from michael jackson to the beatles yeah yeah exactly and yeah. um but i think for me early early on um a lot of it was trying to understand that and trying to know that and um you know, it obviously goes without saying this is, you know, years before the internet or whatever. Um, but so it's just that discovery and search of, of anything, of music, like, because you don't know what you like yet, really, because you don't know what exists yet. Yeah, yeah. So it's that difference of, oh, mum and dad are listening to Led Zeppelin radio and that, or where something comes from, or oh, that guy used to sing in that band or, oh, this kind of sounds like this music but it's a bit more whatever, faster or slower or... Yeah. So, yeah. That's sort of what I really remember as a kid, like just that real, just latching onto anything or anything, something that looked cool on Rage or video hits or... Um, like I remember, like, I, I had this weird distinct memory of watching the uh, Billy Idol Money Money video. Filth it. Fuck yeah. On, like you know, whatever it was, Rage or something. And for some reason thinking it was cool or thinking he was cool or something. Yep. And then, yep. but not knowing anything about him, not knowing anything about the song, barely remembering the song, but something about it sticks in your head. So then you start watching the music shows again in the hope that you'll see it again. Yeah. yeah. Because yep. it's too, you're too young to go out and buy the CD. Yeah, that's or, not an option. Yeah, and so I, I don't know, something about that song, I don't even like it. Like, it's not even close to being the best Billy Idol song, but something about that song and watching the video. And it's a cover. sticks in my head. Is it? Yeah, it's a cover. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who's, who's the original? Oh, God knows. It's like a 60s, yeah. I'm sure it's a 60s song that he kind of revamped. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It's definitely his vibe. Much more of like a... Uh, Sweet Sixteen or White Wedding fan these days, but uh, yeah. yeah, so th yeah, like because White Wedding, well, like when I remember watching, getting up and watching Rage, and seeing Money Money film clip and having it on like a compilation, yeah. like a you know what Smash Hits whatever the year it was, um, and yeah, have, like having that, but then having White Wedding and going, oh, these are it's the same guy, but they're polar opposite. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's re that's really important as a kid because like you know. It's it's that real early discovery time of music, like um, before before you know enough to make judgments more than just if you like something or not. Like you don't know why you like it or whatever. You just like it or you kind of don't. Yeah. Or you yeah. like the singer even if you don't like the song or vice versa. Um, and it really is just that absorbing everything and sort of taking it all in. And because um, I mean, I guess like at that time, like you know, what's you know, around about sort of probably nineteen ninety, you know, eight nine years old or whatever. Yep. Um, like that's a real sort of time where music's really changing a lot from like pop music or like, you know, radio chart music or whatever is really broadening a lot during that time. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you've, so you've got, um, 
Oh, everything. Like, we'll think back to that time. It's like, you know, there was there was rocky stuff on the radio. There was dance music on the radio. There was, like, early hip-hop rap stuff coming on the radio. Um, like, real poppy stuff, still 80s pop sounding stuff, you know. Yeah, still strong. And as a kid, you just take it all in. Yeah. Well, th- yeah, like, you think back and, like, of what would have been in the charts in around the 90s, and you've got, like, mm-hmm. the charts were just everything. Like it, yeah. was, it wasn't just pop stuff that that or no. whatever that it is now. It was like every kind of genre had its had its song that was waving the flag in the top twenty or top forty or whatever. Yeah, and it was probably the peak of like everyone still like every demographic still buying albums. Yeah, yeah, and singles too. Like that's also like the early like cast single days and yep. that kind of shit as well. So. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting if you actually do look at the charts and stuff and be like, holy shit, there's everything here. Yeah. Whereas you look at it now, it's like 17 Drake songs in a row because streaming just fucks out the charts. I don't even like. I've been willing to sit down and kind of work out how charts work nowadays, but I just like I just don't. I mean, I'm sure I would get it if I had a look, but yeah, like I don't even know their relevance anymore. Like, and yeah, and, and the fact they can be, so, <clears throat> I feel like they can be manipulated. <clears throat> part of my yeah because of yeah because it's just streaming. And the way that the way that um the, the way that the streaming sort of works as well is like the first song on the album will be the one that charts as number one because it's people starting to play the album yeah which means right. it's one they play the most whether it's the lead single or not yeah and can sort of like distort the charts so like the first three songs on an album say like you know like a Kanye album something that's getting flogged to death at the minute yeah it just means that the first few songs and the single will all chart at once for a few weeks and it's very weird yeah that's odd but this is yeah but that was a but it's also like when you're a kid as well you actually really pay attention to that kind of stuff because you don't you don't really know where else to go no well there wasn't like as a kid without a car or without any source of income there wasn't anywhere else to go yeah and so it was it was TV and radio and, you know, I didn't, I've like, I'm the old, you know, it's just me and my sister and I'm the oldest one. Yeah. Um, so I don't have, you know, like I know you've, you've definitely said this a few times on, on the podcast before, like that whole thing of like, if you've got an older brother or older sister or a, or a cousin or something that can sort of feed you stuff as you go. But I never had anything like that. So it was really just that constant search by myself for, for anything. Yeah. So you no no older brothers oh sorry not no older brothers no older cousins no mates with older brothers or anything. Not that I was close to like and not oh, probably not until I was a bit older. So okay. as as a kid as a kid kid it really was just like the shit that my parents were listening to, and then just anything I was absorbing through you know anything and, and that's also an aim, you know like you're hearing songs through movies and TV as much as anything like it's just anywhere and anything just all going in yeah yeah it's a lot it's, it's a lot of process and also, also i think what's fantastic is i guess and what helps is you're probably at that at that young of an age you're not um you're obviously hopefully not that bitter and jaded by yeah. anything so like the world is literally literally your oyster and you can just take in everything exactly. yeah and that's and, and then there's like it's sort of a yeah there's a real purity to that as a kid like um, cause I mean, like, I hate to do that whole, like, I wonder if kids still do that these days, yeah. but I really do. Like, I wonder if because of the, the, like, like you can, like you can be an expert in anything when you're like eight years old now, if you got Spotify. It's all. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like rather than just like listening to, you know, some bullshit on, on Triple M or whatever, like it, or just the song that was number one on, on, on the loop or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't even know how that works these days. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think about that a lot and I've heard a few people mention it like, yeah, like if you want to, if you're, <clears throat> pardon me, if you're a 15 year old or yeah, 15 year old kid and someone mentions to you about, you know, early 2000s Euro metalcore. Yeah. You can be an expert in it. In a in a genre before you of genre before you were even born, yeah, you know it doesn't take that long. You can just yeah, it's all there for you. You just have to go digging for it yourself for oh for, with you know for fifteen bucks trawling, a month. Yeah, with a troll through Wikipedia and Spotify, you can be an expert by tomorrow. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, which is it's I think it's cool. I think it's weird, but I also think it's cool. Like because it's I yeah, like, totally. I, I liken it's it like, to um I liken it to like you watch um. So as a music, as a quote unquote musician, you try you work your ass off trying to learn something, and then eventually you get mm. it. And then you watch these young kids who their entry level is the standard for their entry level is so high that they just go, well, that's what I've got to like. I've got to learn this tech shit straight away, and yeah, they just yeah, kind of yeah, keep yeah. like keep raising the bar. And I think that's like I think that's fantastic. And bring it back to music, like kids just go hard and trying to find it and so hopefully by the time that they're of an age if they start playing music they've already got their they've already got their you know their knowledge down and they just start busting out whatever it is or mashing up whatever they're yeah, so. yeah they're into and going from there and they can just like learn that's another you can sit there and learn bloody tech guitar riffs from youtube tutorials yeah bedroom on your iPad. Yeah, that's one. Well, thing. You don't even need a guitar teacher. Yeah, that's <laughs> one. Thing. I so I teach kids. I teach a couple of kids bass, and that's one thing I say to them. Like from the very first lesson, I say to them and their parents, like gone are the days of you having to sit down and hang out with me for a, you know half an hour every week for two or three years. Like I'll give you the basics of what yeah. you need to then go learn yourself, because everything's out there. You've just got to learn how to learn it. buy much music when you were younger or like you know for christmas and birthday presents that kind of thing or yeah i think so like um i reckon i'm i I don't know how old i was when i would have got my first like uh walkman but uh probably like seven or eight i reckon yeah and i remember um we went on a trip to bali when i was a kid and um at the time it was rife with those uh like you know that's like it's it's that real like semi semi legal like grey market type vibe they do where they they yeah yeah very much so yeah back then like it was a real thing like I remember and like oh, I reckon I would have been like six or seven and I'd got my first Walkman um, maybe for my birthday or Christmas just beforehand and um, we went to Bali on like a family trip and I got uh, they used to sell like well into the nineties probably even recently they they used to sell those they're like semi I really don't know what the legality on them is. I think they have a weird kind of licensing arrangement with like, you know, maybe poorer com- countries in Southeast Asia and stuff where they, they're like proper tapes, but they were like really cheap. Yeah, and, um, really cheap. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, they had the like cellophane tape, uh, like the cellophane cover on them right. and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I remember like I was allowed to buy two tapes and the two tapes that I got were Michael Jackson's Bad, which probably would have been like, 
current at the time. Yep. Um, He's so good. And I love Michael Jackson. Like Michael Jackson, one of my favorite, and always has been since then. But um, the second one I got was uh, Poison's "Open Up and Say Ah." Okay. Which is kind of funny because I fucking hate Poison. I fucking hate Cock Rock. Um, but I love that artwork. <laughs> And it's that it's got that weird artwork of uh, like a really cool artwork of like that I don't know it might be what's his name it's, actually no it looks like D Snyder from bloody Twisted Sister but he's like sticking his tongue out and he's got like this like Gene Simmons looking tongue but I remember that looking like real badass as a kid but then like getting it home and going oh this fucking sucks um, and yeah I still hate Poison. <laughs> so you bought it based on the artwork, which is pretty rad. But yeah, I mean there were some bangers like in my like it's all subjective. But in my opinion, there were some bangers on there. What's on that one? I don't. I really don't. Nothing it's but really. Not nothing my... but a good time. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, every rose has its thorn. Which look, it's not really a banger, but it's a, you know, it's it's a ballad. It's a nice. My ballad. favorite. My favorite bit about that song is they uh, mention it in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey when they go to heaven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> remember that. Yes. And he's like. Every rose has a thorn. <laughs> Just that, like, and so they say good. it to get into heaven. Yeah. What <laughs> so a movie good. that was. Yeah. Oh, it's one of my, seriously, one of my top handful of movies. It's so good. I, I, <laughs> I haven't revisited it in a long time, so I fear it may have dated. But um, It's definitely dated, but I think it's a lot better than the first one, to be honest. Yeah. Because they, they go to the future, the past, and heaven and hell, which I think is a really cool, like, yeah, because they're just going back in time. They didn't have to set up the premise of it all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I think Wayne's World Two is better than Wayne's World One. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because you know, they're not to... laying the groundwork. It's yeah, done. they just, just head first it. into it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, totally. So, Michael Jackson. See, that's the thing. Like, I mean, obviously, you said you didn't like um, Poison a whole lot, mm. but in those in that era, like it wasn't a thing to be like my favorite two artists are. A cock rock band and Michael Jackson. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I I I don't know. Like it was probably a time when oh, I remember also getting like one of those early Jimmy Barnes solo albums. Yes. Okay. Like maybe the one that maybe like I don't even know why. Like when you're a kid, you only know like thirty artists or something, so yeah. you just pick one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like maybe it was the one with like working class man on or something. I can't really remember. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then probably just those early days of just listening to the radio and then, I don't know, it's hard to remember what ages you are at this time. Maybe, I don't know, like you can probably actually compare it to the music and the time that that came out, but probably that that time of, of, um, of just being old enough then to maybe like, you know, use your pocket money to buy like. Cass singles, singles. And, yeah, yep. Um, maybe mum would buy me like a new tape or something once every couple of months, or you know, like that kind of thing. So, and and it's another one of those, you know, like back then you only had what you had, so you flog it to death. Oh, dude, it, yeah, you you drilled into yourself, yeah, because you only got like five tapes, so you got to keep yep. going between them. But it was also, I think, it was a time of um, like taping stuff off the radio. Oh, dude. Which was a big thing. That was yeah. a huge thing for me. Like, I used to listen. Um, I remember, uh, like, SAFM was like the big, the big like pop station here, and yeah. they used to do the, the hot eight at eight or something. I think it was every night. Yeah, yeah. And it was one of those things of just like, 
of sitting there. And once you get a bit like more nuanced at it as well, you're like, you're fully cutting out all the talking and, yep. and the ads and you're not just pressing record and then going back. You're sitting there and you're doing your little like yeah. cutting everything out and then, and making your own mixtapes and that kind of stuff. Um, which is definitely something I started doing early. Um, and just everything. And yeah, like I was saying before, like it's, it's not really genre specific. It's just whatever happens to be on the go. Yep. Yeah, it's which is yeah, an, an amazing beauty to the innocence of that. Yeah, and so, and I mean, it's kind of weird that like it's kind of a way that I think I've come full circle with the way I listen to music these days. Like that, I'm not as worried about genre as I once was. Just like when you're a kid, like you know, you listen to Jimmy Barnes, and then you will listen to Michael Jackson, and you don't see that there is a difference. Yeah, because there isn't in your own in your mind. You're not sitting there like dissecting the bloody music history and. Stuff yeah. that's behind it all. So hits are hits. Yeah. Yeah. So what song are we gonna go for? Um, I've chosen a Madonna song. Fuck yes. Um, I have it's it's not my favourite Madonna song, um, but I've gone with Vogue. Okay. Um, which is from nineteen ninety. Oh, okay, um, oh, yep, that makes sense. I would have thought it was yeah, eighty nine, but yeah, okay, yep, nineteen ninety. Yeah, and it's um from memory it's uh I think it's. I think it was on a uh, like it was on a uh, on a soundtrack or something maybe. Like it was. I don't think it was initially on one of her albums. Um, but then it was on. Uh, I don't know if you know. Madonna put out a, a. There's like a. There's a really good compilation Madonna album from about 1993. I think it was. And it's all the immaculate as, collection. Yeah. Yep. And it's all her all over single it. bangers up until then. Yep. Um, which it's a really good collection of songs. Fuck it is. It's I'd say it's probably one of the best best ofs because it's more of a like it's a real bookend to her. Like I love Madonna, but I don't like a lot of stuff after that. So for me, it's that sort of you know eighty two to ninety four, ninety five or whatever is, is what I love. And then after that's when she starts falling off, in my opinion. I mean, she's had a few cool songs and stuff, and yeah, but, you know, she's she's rich and she's mental, and she sort of lost touch after a while. But um, I don't know. I think I think Madonna's really important for a lot of reasons, but I think she's she's a pop star that really had her finger on like an underground pulse, if that makes sense. Oh, very like, much so. Yeah. So you know, she was in punk bands before she was famous. She was like her early stuff is like a real. Like, it's bringing a lot of underground sounds into the pop mainstream, which, I mean, there's plenty of people who've done that and have done it since. But um, And I chose Vogue because it's like a it's a, it's a very, uh, like, it's, it's a real housey song, like, um, that, that has a real sound, like, it's a real club sound turned into a pop song, which I think at the time was quite, like, what the hell is this? Like, um, and sort of... One of those people, one of those artists as well, who manages to do that without it sounding like it's selling out. Yeah, she like she she managed to yeah she managed to still like I'm sure something that was going on in New York and yeah, like yeah. going massive and went let me like yeah let me let me put my spin on it and show the totally. world yeah totally and um you know so yeah and she was obviously like you know yeah and, and involved in a lot of yeah very New York and that very like you know various you know there's fifty different you know, weird subgenres of, you know, subcultures and stuff going on in New York in the 80s. Yeah. And, um, like, all concurrent too. And most of my favourite stuff sort of comes from that sort of time and place. So, you know, it's kind of weird that Madonna's making this wicked house music 
at the same time that, I don't know, Cromags are playing with bloody youth of today or something down yeah. the road. And it's all that weird downtown New York thing. Yeah, so, like it was all Lower East Side and, yeah, downtown. Yeah, that yeah. was all happening, yeah. Totally, and it's that real clash of those cultures and stuff. And, I mean, um, but, yeah, and like like I said before, like I, all the songs I've chosen today have been very specific. Like there's songs I still like, I still love now and that I can definitely tell have influenced me. And, like, because I love house music um, and, all, like, that kind of dance music and stuff. And this is probably a really good example of, like, an early single banger of that kind of kind of vibe too so fuck yeah hell yeah fuck yeah Madonna Vogue shit yeah
So doing doing a tad of research, um, this came from the I'm Breathless album, which yep. like I'm Breathless music from and inspired by the film Dick Tracy. Oh, so it's from the Dick Tracy one. Oh, yeah, but it, right. it's yeah, yeah, not. Yeah. I don't know if they're making it out like it's the soundtrack. Yeah, or if it was just like to, to me, songs inspired by has nothing means the the songs weren't on the movie. But it, I don't know the movie well enough, so it may well have been on it. But um, yeah, I don't think it yeah. was. And I think like all the other songs, I think around that time, like from that, are like it's kind of a bit of a Dick Tracy vibe. Like a bit more. All the other songs are a bit more kind of like. Uh, I don't know, a bit more throwbacky, kind of like maybe even like forties sounding like from that soundtrack. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's this what... is probably like a single that she made that they just threw on there because they need to sell it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's not else to pitch it because it says, um... "Fuck, I've lost it now." Oh yeah, um, musically on Breathless consists predominantly of jazz, swing, and pop songs. The yeah. track, the yeah, tracks yeah. reflected Madonna's showgirl personality and were influenced by her relationship with Warren Beatty. So, right. yeah, and it's that early day of her with like curly blonde hair and that kind curly of shit. Hair. So, very much that vibe. But yeah, love I, it. I remember um, on a Madonna trip. I remember seeing um, the like a prayer. Yeah, film clip as a kid and just going, I don't know what's happening here. But I know this is mad, and it's yeah, it's intense and yeah. it's like huge, like yeah. yeah, and and like as an eight year old kid or whatever it would have been, just going like uh, like oh, there's this guy and there's this girl and I don't know what's going on, but like obviously having some kind of deep enough message where it resonated with me, didn't know what the fuck it was on about, yeah, and then years later finding out oh, it's about this and it's about that and yeah. And it's this like interracial thing and like the yeah. weird Catholic saints thing and yep. not being Catholic, like all that shit is just so weird to me. Like oh, as a kid, weird. especially like what the fuck? Like yeah. But oh that's a cracker of a song. I mean yeah. that might even be my favourite. Like or Into the Groove actually I think is my favourite. But well, okay. Yeah. Um but yeah, I love Madonna. I always yeah. have. And she- I think as well, like I, I thinking back I, I don't think I liked her, but then I think I pretended to like her to impress a girl. As you do. As you do when you're, yeah. you know, 10 years old or whatever. But in the process, fell in love with Madonna and not the girl. And not the girl. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turned out for the better, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know. I love Madonna, but I think that, yeah, she's definitely, like, well past her um, relevance. Like a lot of old, washed-up old crazies that have too much attention and money. Yeah, like it's – I mean, power to people who just, like, she just – like you know, and not just her, but there's I'm sure there's a lot of people who are still just going at it because. But like, and you got to respect the fact that I don't know. Like, it's she's not whatever she's doing. She's not doing it for the money because the no. money couldn't be there to the extent that she would have made previously. Yeah. So like, you and think, she, her royalty checks would just be rolling in oh, every day. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like she, yeah, she'd be making more money on Vogue and Holiday and all those jams. Oh yeah. More money than she would be from anything she released in the last five years. So. Oh, and it's all trash too. Like it's yeah. all just kind of, I don't know, not really my cup of tea, but I don't know. She's had some bangers. I, I did like some of the stuff she did in the mid-2000s. Like one of the albums was kind of cool and had some singles on it, but yeah, I don't know. It's a bit too mum music these days. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, that's what, that's what happens, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. It's not for me. So moving past Madonna, like yep. where do you go to from Madonna? 
Um, well, I think that's probably like the end of high, uh, the end of primary school for me. So when I went to high school, um, you know, everything changes literally that day you start high school and, and you, you feel like you have to change as well. And so I think in those early times, like, um, it was probably when I really first started discovering like triple J, um, which when you sort of, I don't know, like I'm sure it's a, it's very much of a rite of passage in Australia if you, if you do. And when you start listening to triple J and getting into like quote unquote alternative music in the nineties at the time, um, that's where it all changed for me. Like it was much more of a, uh probably shifting away from pop and just whatever and getting much more into specific bands and that kind of stuff yeah yeah um i was i was i was was getting into hip-hop a bit as a kid too like i was really into like at the time um you know getting into like snoop dogg and the west coast stuff cypress hill and all that kind of stuff that was popping off at the time because you remember that was massive out here so how Um, were you how were you getting that like, was that all Triple J based? Um, I don't know. I think uh, – I really don't know. I mean, I think some of, a lot of that stuff was actually quite popular, like, chart-wise early. Okay. Like, um, you know, and, like, the first Snoop Dogg album and Ice Cube and that kind of stuff was quite – like, Coolio and that kind of shit. Yeah, was a lot quite, of that, yeah, G-Funk stuff. Yeah, and it really – like, because that's some of my favourite hip-hop still, and I think that that really – like it's weird when you think back at like at at nineties hip hop and what everyone sort of conti- considers you know the classic stuff and whatnot is generally the, the New York stuff, but that was that that was not on the radar in Australia at that time. Yeah, like no one was listening to like that stuff in the nineties. I mean, unless you were like unless you were into that, but like yeah. if you were, whereas, you were definitely that that meant you were into hip hop, not just into listening to whatever's on the radio. Yeah, and if you were in hip hop back in the mid '90s, like you were like a probably like a you know graph rat and like a yeah. break dancer or something, um, like very much a subculture. It hadn't popped yet, but yeah, that kind of stuff I guess was like very radio and 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 video as well. Like you know, seeing the like Snoop Dogg "What's My Name" video, I'm just being like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever it's seen. Pretty fantastic, yeah. But sort of, I guess concurrently. Um, yeah, that whole Triple J thing, and and I mean, it's it is once again, it's oh, and and Nirvana. That was another thing. Like, yep. um, I remember getting into Nirvana probably a month before old mate topped himself. <laughs> yeah, and right. it was weird because it was like my mates were like, "Oh, you gotta listen," to this. and it was obviously you know cool and whatever at the time, and then that was the biggest deal in the world. Yeah, and then I got way more into them after that, and um. I guess everything snowballs from that. Like once you like that sound, well, the rest of the nineties is basically based on Nevermind. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you remember where you were when you found out he died? Uh at school. Okay. I think it was just one of those things of like kids being like, Kurt Cobain died, Kurt Cobain died and like being like, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Like it not really registering on your on your radar that that can even happen. Like that, that yeah. only happens to like old people, yeah. not like some cool guy. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, which is rough. Yeah, it's it, it definitely it's yeah. Looking back at it, I remember like I remember I was. This is gonna sound weird. I was doing my shoelaces up, 
yep. getting driven to tennis on a Saturday morning and I and wow. Triple J was just on and I remember hearing it and going, That can't be right. Like Yeah. The guy's too yeah, the guy's too young. Yeah. Like, well it's like I remember what I, I the one thing I do remember, like semi related, I remember coming home from soccer practice a couple few years later and hearing that Jason Thirsk from Pennywise had died. And I remember hearing that on the radio coming home from soccer practice. Yeah, right. Similar thing to like you with your tennis shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just knew where it was. was. Still yeah, the ticket. That, that was a few years later. But, um, but yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm sure you had a very similar thing. Like it's that age of just Australian music and Triple J and it being like... Like, it just starts becoming everything to you. Yeah, yeah. And you just listen to anything. And, like, like I, to be perfectly honest, I listen to a lot of that. Like, I'll, if I do listen to some of that now, I'm just like, this is fucking awful. But, or just, like, so pov and lo-fi and just not great. Yeah. But it was everything at the time, especially because it was Australian. So what, because, what are some examples then? Um, oh, I'm trying to think because it's like, I'm trying to put it in perspective of time because some of it might be later than I'm thinking or okay. whatnot. But it really is like what really started getting me into a lot of that stuff was, you know, spider bait, regurgitator. Yep. Never huge into silver chair, but I like the first album. Yeah. Um, oh, and then, you know, it's Scream Feeder, Custard, uh, something for Kate, just all that, everything, yeah. any Australian band like that that just was kind of grungy, just gets on your radar and you listen to. Yeah. And then, yeah, having that with, um, I guess you would have watched a whole lot of recovery as well. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, just having that, like, every Saturday morning, there'd be mm. a new band that you'd learn about or that you'd physically see, like they yep. were there, that, you yep. know, they were there and you could watch them play. Yeah. And before before recovery even like rage would still flog that stuff too oh, so yeah yeah even without dylan lewis like doing his wacky little shit and yeah. telling you all about it they'd still play you know the videos and stuff before that so um and i get i think that was that was important too because you know that that real mid-90s lo-fi kind of video vibe as well yeah and it looks australian and yeah, i think that was so. really like you know half those videos you watch them now and it's like Oh, I'm walking down the Smith Street in Melbourne and, oh, I'm at the... You know, like... Yeah. It's all that very... Oh, it's very Australian backyards or, you know, that... Like something that you could relate to a lot more than probably most American stuff or, yeah. you yeah. know, British stuff, whatever. But... Um, and then I guess really that just slowly drifting in a punk direction. Okay. So... What, what was the band that bridged it? Oh... Probably Green Day and The Offspring, okay. I think. Yep. Like that real, like, when did Smash come out? 94. 94. So, when did... so Smash Smash came out a few days before Kurt Cobain died. Or a few days up. Within a week either side of Kurt Cobain dying, Smash yep. came out, yeah. Did the singles not pop off for a bit after that, maybe? They, there would have been a couple of singles before it, and then there definitely would have been singles after it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just a time when, like, songs would linger in the ether a bit longer than they do now. So. Oh, dude, absolutely. So it's definitely, like, you know, that era of, like, you know, the early Green Day singles, uh, Come Out and Play, yep. that kind of stuff. Um, and then I think the thing for me was, like, I went to school in the southern suburbs of Adelaide um, 
and a lot of kids that went to my school were kind of coastal, like the, the surf coastal suburbs in Adelaide down the south coast. Yeah. And um, so I went to school with a lot of kids like that, a lot of surfers and bodyboarders and skaters and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that just that whole thing of being like older kids and just being like, like none of my mates were into it, but I could, but like cool older skaters and stuff, you'd see band t-shirts or yeah, you stickers know, on skateboards or whatever. Logos drawn on backpacks yeah. and that real mysterious thing of that and being like, you know, like you know when you first start seeing like the Dead Kennedys logo. Yes, yes. And you're like, I need to know what this is because only cool people draw it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, or whatever, or and the Pennywise logo, or like. You know, just that bad religion logo, just those logos and stuff, and just that, like I guess it all just slowly creeping into into all the consciousness and and it being real mysterious and and then you start hearing it and it's just like holy shit, like this is just like the music I've I've listened to before, but like faster and aggressive and yeah, better, like um, and I always remember like it was uh, the first Pennywise tour which I think was 95 when they toured with like Blink when they were still called yeah, Blink without the, the 102. The Good Times Tour. Is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Good Times Tour. Oh, yeah, because was, that was, a, it was, was a surf, surfing video. video. Yeah, Taylor yeah, Steel yeah, surfing yeah, yeah. video, yeah. That's right, yeah. Because um, that's like, I mean, you'd be the same age, you know, of the same thing of like that real – the coastal pockets around Australia all got into that shit. Oh, dude, absolutely, yeah. So it's, it's south coast Adelaide. Like, yeah. um, you know, all the coastal stuff in Sydney, yep. you know, Queensland, Melbourne. Like, it's, it's that real, like, it's that real coastal vibe and it had a lot to do with surf videos, um, skate videos, all that kind of shit. And um, I didn't go, but my mate's one, my mate's, like, mum was working at Febby Theatre or wherever it was. And yeah. he, he went with, like, his cousin. And I remember the next day getting a phone call and being like, Oi. <laughs> this is what we're in. This is what we've got to get into now. This is us now, yeah. And that show, like, how's this for a fucking show or a tour even? Pennywise, Blink, Body Jar, and One Inch Punch. Yeah, it's insane. Absolute and insanity, like, yeah. Every one of those bands is like, you know, and and at their prime too. Like, this is 95. This is like before any of those bands got shit or boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> And um and they all they would have all still been so young like every one of those bands would have been like early mid twenties and stuff. Oh, dude, and... absolutely. So, well, when well, I remember seeing um Blink in, I want to call it ninety eight. Could have been ninety seven. Yep. But um, it was Scott Rayner's the drummer's birthday. It was the Scott Rayner's birth like twenty first birthday. Wow! Like the night, so they played an overage show on the set on the one night, and then they played an all age show the next day. And my sister yeah. went to the overage show, and she's like, um, "Yeah, so it would have been ninety seven. And she's like, "Yeah, it was his his twenty first birthday last night." Holy and just think, moly. so he was touring out here when he was nineteen, Fuck. just getting amongst it. Damn, yeah, he's a pretty shit drama too. Oh, dude. <laughs> It's just like I listen to this podcast um, called Blink One Five Five, and I've had. Oh yeah, I just yes, today actually I just listened to the, the episode with old mate. With uh, the, your, the uh, sorry the uh, episode, oh sorry podcast, yeah my podcast yeah, 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 yeah right yeah okay his name um Sam or Josiah 
Uh, Sam. Yeah, it's Sam. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. and then eventually, uh, sorry, earlier on I did Josiah. Um, oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so you go check that out. But um, yeah, they like the way they break down the episodes is fucking amazing. Mm. But the love, like, you listen to Scott, like as Scott compared to Travis, and go, I mean, you know, it's it's chalk and cheese. Yeah. But then you listen to, but then you listen to songs Scott played on and just went, I don't know if Travis was playing these songs that they'd have anywhere near the impact that they did back yeah. then. Because it's that whole, it's just the three piece that works. Yeah. It just it's and the povness is part of it. Yeah, and the drumming well, that's so fast. No, so fuck no. Know. But the drumming's so fast that you're like, it's almost like, like waiting for it to fall over. Yeah. But it doesn't. And the, and the way that, that, that all those those punk drummers from that era all have their standard beat. Yeah. And yeah. it's got their own signature and, you know, it's got their own little yeah. whatever on it. But no one can, no one else can cover it properly. Yeah, no one can do it the way, yeah, that they could, yeah. Totally. But, um, and from there it was just, for me, I guess, just constant. Like, it really was that show that I didn't go to. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and, my, I remember mate went out and bought uh, the same old story single. Awesome. And then I bought uh, About Time. Fuck yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, I, I definitely bought a few punk albums before that, but they were much more, you know, radio punk. And then Pennywise was the first band that was not a band that was at all mainstream. Yeah. Like even Triple J didn't play Pennywise. Yeah, no. Nah. Like it was completely off off the radar for any like, you know, and and I guess that's at, at that age where like that was a, as big a part of what was cool about punk to me at the time was no one else knew this shit unless you did. Yeah. And it was like a secret handshake. Yeah, and looking back, it was like, yeah, they were still getting like shit tons of people to their show, and obviously people liked it. But in my circle and. You know, I went to a fucking private school and all that kind of shit. So it was all this like, like it became my thing. Yeah. In a way that even like only a very small bunch of my mates were into, and most of them, even my other mates, thought I was crazy for liking that stuff. I mean, it's, this is just Pennywise too. Yep. This isn't like fucking black metal or something. Like it's like reasonably melodic punk music. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, but it was still might as well have been fucking grindcore to most normies or whatever. I remember at my high school, and it was just a, a all boys high school in the suburbs. Yeah, and there were about eight people yeah. who listened to punk rock. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It was it was definitely, you know, as as suburban kids go, it was definitely like the deep underground. Totally. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I think from there it was just a combination of, like, probably going to uh, – like, I remember the first actual show I went to was, like, an Oz Music Day thing in 96. Okay. 14, I think. Um, and it was, like – it was at Adelaide Uni and it was, like, uh, like Spiderbait, Scream Feeder, Jebediah played, like, second because they weren't big yet. yeah. Um, like they were playing under like terrible local Adelaide bands and that kind of stuff. Um, and I remember just going to that and just being like, it's just that, like, just that real. And like, cause it was a festival, like not a festival. There's probably like, you know, eight bands that played over the course of the night or whatever yep. in like an outdoor thing at the, at the university. And, um, and 
it just being this like eye-opening thing as this dumb little kid and like you know like someone just randomly like hands you a pipe and just like smoke this kid (laughs) and i'm just like oh okay yeah like smoke a pipe and just lose my fucking mind and just like and just like and those like those 90s just jump up and down like triple j mosh pits yeah yeah that were like like when you're a child it's like you might as well have been jumping into like a fucking food processor or you know like or you know but you look back now and it's like, oh, it, it was just a bunch of 17-year-old kids just jumping just on jumping the spot around. and slightly banging into each other. But if you're, but if you're like 15, jumping around with 17-year-olds, oh, yeah. it's fucking scary. I was scary. tiny as a yeah. kid too. Like, I was so little as, as like that age. I didn't grow I didn't grow until I was about 18. So I would have just been getting pummeled and thinking back, being like, this is terrifying. Yeah. And then it being like, oh, there's just like some loser with blue hair or something. Yeah, yep. That's um, it. But after that, it was like, and, you know, it was just going to see... There was a real culture in Adelaide as well for, for that sort of time, like through the 90s and into the early 2000s. Um, the Both the big unis here, Adelaide and uh, Flinders Uni, both used to have heaps of shows on the weekends. And it okay. was like a real, uh, like, all... Adelaide used to have the best all-ages laws. What? Yeah, like, I was going to say, because, like, when... Sorry to cut you off, but um, no, no. when I remember, like... Getting like getting into like again to quote unquote underground um, mm. local bands like punk rock and hardcore bands. Every time there was a tour or every time someone yeah. would play a show in Adelaide, it would always be a licensed or laid show. Always, and it was like, how the fuck does that work? It used to. I'm as far as I know, until the mid two thousands, and I think that's when it changed in the early mid two thousands. They changed the liquor licensing laws, but it used to literally just be a thing that anywhere could do all ages stuff. As long as I think it was just like a wristband situation where you just if you're overage you got a wristband if not whatever. Wow. And so what that meant was that like for for a good like and you know it was probably going for God knows how long before before I got there. But every weekend you could go down to Flinders University and like see what people like and because my school was quite close to there too like because it's a bit south of the city. Okay. And um which means it was close to the coast and then so all the coastal bands and that kind of stuff. Um, and it was like every weekend there'd be the bands. That's what – and everyone was like, oh, are you going to the bands? Are you going to the bands this That's weekend? That's what it was, yeah. It's just what it was called and yeah. it's just what you did and it became this real thing of like so, you know, the handful of mates and, and maybe older and younger kids at your school would be there because you were sort of in the area and all the, and you'd start meeting people and you start recognising all the same people from the shows and then you'd see him at when an international band would tour as well, and you'd start like you know, starting to recognise the beginnings of a network, and you know how it all sort of works and a scene kind of thing. Yeah, and it, I mean it wasn't like a super cohesive thing, like say hardcore or whatever, you know, in a very tight thing. But it yeah, was, and and really sort of understanding that, and um, you know, these bands like you know like Ninety Nine Reasons Why, Where's the Pope, um. A lot of that, like Southern Adelaide '90s punk stuff, like that, um, yeah. as well as just anything, like because you know, back then it was much more mixed, and so there'd be sort of shitty sort of metal bands playing or Triple J sounding stuff or whatnot. But that was that, and that was sort of the same venue where then when bands would tour would would play. So it'd be you'd go see shitty local bands at, at Flinders Uni, and then you'd see Strung Out play there or something, you know. Okay. So. Um, 
that really started melding all together. So probably through all the end of year 10 into year 11, like every other weekend it was just going to see any band. And that was from the shittest local crap you can think of to like, I don't know, like 10 foot pole or something, you know, like like proper good stuff that I was getting into or better stuff. And um, yeah. And so that really became well and truly what I was into by then. So were venues doing overage shows as well or they just – or like you could just walk into a pub and as long, like if you didn't have a wristband, you didn't get served alcohol but that was that was okay, you were still allowed to be there? Mostly. And then – but there'd just be a handful of, of venues that wouldn't that wouldn't do it because maybe they didn't have the licensing or whatnot. But, okay. but like 80% of shows at least were all ages. Yeah. Like there was only a handful of stuff I missed out on like because I was underage. Yeah. And – and it's to think back to that now, like it's incredible how important that shit is, dude. Absolutely, and how much that has changed everything. Because by the time you're 18, you've already seen 100 bands, yeah. 200. You know what? You've already been to a million shows. Whereas if you had to wait to that age now, like what a late start, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And um, so yeah, and it was like everything was like that, apart from a couple of venues in the city that. I think they just didn't want kids there because it's like it's not really the vibe for these places. But apart from that, yeah. it's just just everything. Yeah, no, it always blew my mind. Like there'd always be all age shows in Adelaide, and I just never got it. But I think it was that was one thing I was kind of jealous of Adelaide about because it definitely produced a um, it produced so much shit and such a tight scene. Yeah, because in a small place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just so accessible to anybody and everybody. You didn't have to, you know, you didn't have to be overage to go see these bands. You just totally. Yeah, it was open. And we we were actually really like another thing in Adelaide that happened was um, there's a guy uh, who owns and runs Enigma Bar, which you would have you would have been there. We would have played there, wouldn't we? You would have been to Enigma. Enigma is this um the upstairs joint in the city? Craig. Yeah, 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 was, yeah. yeah. And so Craig, who runs that. Uh, Craig Scorpion used to run, or he may still, I'm not really sure, but he, he ran Scorpion Entertainment. Yes. He did heaps of those punk tours back then. Yeah, absolutely. And so Adelaide, who very often we miss tours, and we still do, and increasingly so, but back then every band, every touring punk band would come to Adelaide because Craig would put the show on. Yeah. And it was peak time, so people would turn up too. And it was all ages. So, you know, every one of those shows would sell out or at least pack out. That's insane. Because, um, you know, a million children would want to go. Yeah. But, yeah. um, well, the song I've chosen for this one. See? Um, I, this because remember, you asked me to do this podcast about a year ago. Fucking ages ago. And so these ago. songs yeah. have been stewing in my head for a year, like just trying to pick what I was going to pick. Yep. You know, like oh, for ages. This is the only song I picked straight away and I've kept. Wow. Like, this is the song that was like there's the one. N- there's no two ways about it. No. And I, there's nothing else I could pick this time. I've tried, I was like, oh, maybe I think something. Um, and I've gone with Propaganda. Yes. Fuck yes. Um, and I've gone with And We Thought Nation States Were a Bad Idea. Fuck yes. Maybe the Survival of the Fattest. I was going to say, yeah, do you want to go that or do you want to go the album version? That's cool. Yep. Go the Survival of the Fattest because that was the first one I heard. And it sounds heaps rougher too.
publicly subsidized, privately profitable, the anthem of the upper puppeteer, untouchable, focus the moment, not in approval, bury our heads in the barcodes of these neo-colonials. that comp i mean i'm sure it was the same for you like yeah that that changed everything at the time yeah like it really did like it was those those sample cds at the time were like gold you know like they were they were so important to hearing new bands on those labels and stuff um and that one in particular like there was that time when every band on that comp could tour on the strength of the one song yeah that one jump yeah yeah so like so when Propagandy toured, I'd only heard – this was the start of 97. Like, I reckon it was probably, like, March or April 97. Yep. So I would have just turned 15. Yep. And I knew that one song. Yep. On that comp. Um, and I, I specifically remember being at Sports Day, which is at the very start of the year. Yep, they do it in the summer, yeah. And a guy that was – a year older than me, but knew like he saw he knew I went to shows and stuff, and he's like, "Oh, you going to propaganda?" And I was like, "Oh, well, I don't know. I only know that one song, you know." And I didn't, you know, it was just didn't know anything about him, whatever. Yeah. Um, and we were like, "All right." And so me and my mate went, and it was probably the most life changing show. No, it's definitely the most life changing show that I ever went to. Um. It was at Adelaide Uni, which is the first time I'd ever been to the to the venue there. Yeah. Um, and compared to all the other bands that I'd I'd seen, like touring bands before that, it had all been very like it was great, obviously. But all those bands are quite stock standard. Like you know, if like Strung Out came out, they'd play with a local band. You know, they probably played with Game Over or something, and then Ninety Nine Reasons Why. You know, three bands that sound the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, that are very, very much within their, in a small window, you know. Um, but when Propagandy played, they played with, like, you know how they have, they, they're very specific of who they want to play with? Like, who they're very, supports. like, yep. 
Yeah, and they're always like, we, there's got to be at least, like back then they're still like, there has to be at least one woman in one band, you know, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Like they, they're very, you know. And so as a result, they played with like grind bands and crust bands and stuff. Like apart from, and 99 Reasons Why were the only other like popish skate punk band or whatever that played with them. And all the other bands were like Gacy's Place and Keith and like I remember a band called Pig Face played with them and stuff. Yeah. And they were like brutal, awful punk. Like, you know, like yeah, that kind of stuff. And it's like and I'd never heard anything like that before and as a result like the crowd was weird and the crowd was like the most varied thing i've ever seen like it was punks and skins and mohawks and surfers and skaters and like anything you can think of metal dudes anything was there and like there were distros there were like you know tables set up with stuff about like anarchism and you know, veganism and animal rights and stuff. And, like, I just never encountered anything like that in my life. And so just, you know, listening to these, like, fucking god-awful bands but intrigued by them and weird people there and all this information that was just being thrown at me and, like, it was just, like, it was the biggest overload in the best possible way. Um, That was the Less Talk More Rock tour. Yep. Which is like prime, like peak preachy propaganda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like the proper less talk more rock, like it was that, like Chris talked for as long as they played. Like like between every song was five minutes of talking. That's so good. And it was like I just never encountered anything like that before. And like Chris is talking about like, you know, Israel, Palestine and like, gay rights and American imperialism and all this shit. And it's like stuff that I was, you know, I was obviously aware of that stuff, particularly through, uh, you know, like I was always, uh, I kind of glossed over Rage Against the Machine too. (laughs) We can come back to that. Somewhere in there. And because they're another band that was like that same thing of like really introducing me to a lot of stuff, Um, ideas, you know, politics, whatnot, which, um, and then, by the time propaganda came along and it was like, oh, here's that, but like 10 times as much of it and I'm just going to dump it on your head, you know. Yeah. And just, I just, I was buzzing for a month after that show. Like it was just genuinely life-changing. I remember that propaganda show, missing it, just not being able to get there. And I was yeah. just like, well, oh, well, that sucked. Because yeah. they didn't come out for... No. What I feel like would be 10 years. Longer. They didn't come out to 2009. Yeah. They released like a bucket load of albums. Well, not a bucket load, but like three or four albums. Yeah. And didn't tour on any of them. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you do? That's crazy. So, I mean, I've chosen this song because like, I don't know, it was the first song I heard and it's not my favourite propaganda song, but lyrically, it really affected me. I mean, everything lyrically is always and still does affect me a lot. Yeah. Um, and but the lyrics to this song I remember just hitting me like a brick and like the lyrics to this song is still kind of a political manifesto to me you know like an ingrained deep within me yeah like and just it, it stood just, out so much on that comp like oh god yeah in a, you like, know and every every song's a banger you know you can't take away anything from any of those no, songs no 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 
but, but it's a very different vibe. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got you've got like no effects doing a bloody what Don McLean cover, cover about yeah. Vincent Van Gogh. You've or got Friends of Rum Run. Run, yeah. <laughs> um, the like, the uh, Mums and Puppers. Sick. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and it's high standard. Like, yeah, high standard. That's right. Yeah, Caliban, you do man. Yeah, like, yeah, and all that shit. And like, but propaganda, like it's rough as guts that song in there. But lyrically, it's just a, it's just so different, and it was so different to all those bands. And yeah, I think like before I was even really into or even heard much hardcore, I think that was what really pushed me in that direction. Yeah. Because it's not just about the sound, it's about the scene, the politics, the ideas, the and more than it, the DIY. Like the yeah. whole, like the way that you could go to a show and it's like, who's this fucking treadlock weirdo like trying to give me like some pamphlet about, I don't know, like some anarchist collective or something. Yeah. You know, like it's just such a world that was so different to like, all the other shows are just like, some jaded, horrible American like yeah. selling your fucking he, expensive yeah. lag wagon t-shirts. He's our merch. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then you go there and it's like, well, like, um, you know, Greg Spiral Objective. Yep. Like, yep. do you remember that old? And he had like the distro like yeah. back in the day. Like, Absolutely. Probably the biggest one in Australia. And that whole, because he's from, he's from Adelaide, and that whole distro set up at the show. Jesus. Like fucking 20 crates boards for sale you know like yeah. and yeah i don't know I, just that shot like it's in my head so hard um and propaganda just always been a band you know the older i get and the further i drift away from punk and all kinds of guitar music and whatnot propaganda is the, the one band that still stays front and center for me Dude, like absolutely they're the band that they're the they're really the only band that got heaps better dude yeah yep is the main way I'd put it. Like each, I mean, I still like all the, the newest stuff, but maybe the last three albums are quite similar in their sound and direction and whatnot. But the way, but those first four albums, yep. Each one, over, and that's what's that over the course of about fifteen years, each one just jumps forward, like yeah, leaps and by, bounds, by leaps and bounds, yeah, yeah in a way that. No other band did. And I think for me, a lot of that, like, for me personally, most of that 90s punk stuff by about 2000, for my taste, starts getting boring. Yeah. Like, most of those bands were, like, you know, I, I really like most of those albums, most of those bands' first couple of albums. And then by their fourth album or something, I'm like, it's getting a bit by the numbers here, fellas. Yeah. Or, you know, like a lot of those bands, like, say, Lagwagon, like, I love their riffy first couple of albums. And then by a few albums in, it's that real, just very punk chord progression type yeah. stuff or yeah, whatnot. Yeah. Whereas then a band like Propaganda starts like that and then's like, oh, here's a new album. And it's like, we just listen to metal now. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and, Metal and was, rush. Yeah. Yeah. And so here we go. And yeah, I don't know. I could talk about propaganda for fucking ever. Dude. You have to shut me up, or else I will. As um, as Footy says, for, for, I read something Footy put up the other day, um, and he just wrote propaganda, the only band that still matters. I'm yep. like, yeah, you're not. And wrong. we've always said that, we've always said that to each other, like because yeah. he's a huge fan too. Oh, right? super fan. Yeah. You know, Tom Stewart obviously has always been a big fan too, and. Um, yep. Yeah, and yeah, like we're saying, like Chris's new podcast is is fucking oh, wicked, and I can't Jesus. can't wait for that to keep going. Have you heard the first one? Yes, dude, it's 
It's everything I've ever wanted. Just yeah. him. And he's. Did you ever listen to his old podcast he did a couple of years ago? Bits and pieces of it. It was really good. And him yeah. and the other guy. Like, he's just, you know, he's really funny in his own very particular way. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's everything I've ever wanted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, so when it came out, I remember going, oh, you're charging three bucks a month. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, it's three bucks an episode. And I kind of yeah. balked. Yeah. And then you listen and to it and go, no, no, I'll pay 10. If you need yeah. me to pay 10, I'll pay 10. I'll pay 20. Yeah. I just, yeah. Like, it's, it's, yeah. It's worth every cent. And it's, dude. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like, was it Dougie said on, on that thing I posted about it? And he was like, oh, is that a bit of a sellout move? And I'm like, no, you know what? It's the complete opposite. Absolutely. It is. It's the ultimate DIY move. It's, 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 it's cutting out a middleman yep. and dealing directly with your fans. Yeah. And sure, if it costs money, it costs money. Why should it be free? But yep. I'd rather fucking pay Chris Hanna three dollars than have to listen to a mattress. Fucking yeah, ad. another mattress you know? ad or yeah, another or sports betting ad. Poststamps.com yeah. or some bullshit like yep. that's that's selling out. Oh, yeah, I don't even say who cares, but yeah. that's more of a selling out to me than going, hey, you want this? Pay for it. The money yep. is fuck all, and it goes straight to me. Yeah, there's no record label, there's no podcast conglomerate or whatever. Yeah, it's, no network or anything. Yeah, and that's once again propaganda leading the way in their values and the way they do things. And I, I, I just really don't. You know, there's a lot of stuff I, I like, punk wise, hardcore wise, whatever. But that's the band that has always just been number one in terms of it's just everything. The way they carry themselves, their politics, their everything. And so yeah, this is the song. Fucking a. All right, so. Do you want to talk about Rage Against the Machine? Because I feel like that's that's the ultimate in um, like I remember you know, fuck we used to listen to Rage Against the Machine all the time when we were on tour and and always yeah. like fucking, I'm sure we played the bomb track intro at least more than like at least a handful of times. Yeah, live so with Jungle cool. Fever. Like that seems like it's the you know it's it's the ultimate you know it's not the ultimate gay band but it's like it's definitely a. <laughs> It's the it's the two worlds clashing that you obviously had both feet in. Yeah, and and the more I sort of look back as well, it's sort of more than two worlds even because it's sort of so many more influences than you sort of notice as a kid. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I think like I liked them on the first album. Yep. More, but I mean that came out when I was fucking ten or whatever. So that was yeah. like, yeah, I was very you know we we're all aware of you know killing in the name. Yep. And that, like, cause, you know, fuck, it's got swearing and it's, yeah. the guy's got dreads and there's, like, stage diving in the video and, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But it was when Evil Empire came out. Yep. Um, and they played that big day out, which yes. I think was 96. I was going to say 96, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But once again, I didn't go. No, fuck, no, I was definitely too young to go to that. I went to the next year, but yep. I went. But that one I didn't go to, and I remember they played, and I remember like a, hand, a bunch of kids coming back and just being like, "Dude, like, dude, yep. this fucking band, man!" Like, and that, and then I would have got that album very soon after that, and it just like same sort of thing, like it just absolutely transfixed by it, like not just musically, but just the way that a band like that, the same thing was like propaganda, like the way that they're they're lyrical and they're like just that side of things ha- like gives them so much more of a meaning and a presence. Yeah. And in that way that it's, uh, you know, like, yeah, like same thing with like, like as to propaganda, like, the, you know, like a lot of people just like, oh, this is sick and rock out. But, you know, there's songs about like 
you know, like armed socialist paramilitary groups in Mexico. Yep. Yep. You know, like or like. But a catchy as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And you bang your fucking head and you jump around yep. and it's riffy and it's, um, yeah, and just I guess just that perfect mix of just like heavy, riffy, funky. And then Zach is a genuinely great MC and heavy singer and frontman. Yeah, and came up as a hardcore kid. Exactly. And Which... so he's got that kind of thing, but then also the, you know, the Chuck D thing as well as the... As the well as the McCarthy, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, that... Oh, man, Evil Empire, man, like... Well, everything they did was fucking perfect, but yeah, that album is so beyond its time. Oh, like I think, yeah, I think uh, like the self-titled is very much of its time, but yes. I think that the next album is very like, like well before its time. Oh, yeah. this time never came. It, it, if, you, if you want to look at it that way, like yeah. it, was, it was sort of because new metal came along after it and took a very different direction. Yeah. Like, new metal was combining similar elements but making a different product. Yep. And, and it, definitely had a, it definitely had a, that stripped back, you know, yeah. live sound. Yes. Like, under-polished, where, exactly. yeah, new metal took everything to, like, mega-polished. Definitely. And that whole, like, you know, the thing that always write on their CDs of, the, like, all sounds yeah. created by guitar, guitar drums. Based, yeah. And, and being like, what? Really? Yeah. How did you make that fucking, you know, all those yeah. things and stuff? And yeah, and definitely the way that it was, and it's a genuine, like it's a, it's something that I'll go back and listen to, and it always still sounds as fresh as ever. And fuck yeah. Or the the more music within its wheelhouse that I'll listen to, well, like its influence, their influences and stuff, the more and the, oh, you know, like sounds like, you know, there's like so like seventies funk in that. Yeah. Which is like shit in the world. Like the more I'm like, holy shit, this is where that's all from. Yeah, but oh man, covering that, doing that bomb track intro of the cover was so good. It was the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> See? Was that because like oh, I'm trying to remember? Was that because like Jigsy bought a wah pedal or something? Yeah, pretty much. Oh no, that's why. That's when we did the Lenny Lenny Kravitz. We did cover. Lenny Kravitz, and I think in the same set I sung Glycerine by Bush. Oh my. God, that was, all, that was so good. All that the was the art house. Yep, at the art house. Right. Yeah. Fucking hell, that was perfect. So, yeah, fun time. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you never, well, you played bass. Yeah. But never really took it up. Let's talk, oh, like, let's talk about your musical career. Well, in, in the Airports. first band I was in was the Kill Choir Project. That's right. Fuck, I forgot about that. Which is very funny to tell people that don't know because it's very not me. But they were good mates of mine at the time. Like, I'm still friends with them now, but um, don't really see them a lot. But at the time, they were, like, my, my best mates. And we start, you know, it was just that, like, let's start a band. Yeah. And it was just that, you know, I was 18, I think, 17, 18 at the time. Um, and we just, it was that very early days of, like, sort of melodic emo-ish metalcore. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the stuff that, that Kilquire ended up sounding like, but, you know, that early sort of early poison the world and that kind of stuff, I guess, um, which I was never huge into, but I just wanted to play in a band. Yep, 
Yep. And so I'm a fucking idiot who can just play enough bass to get by in a shit band. And, um, yeah, it was good. It was great fun, you know. And I, saw, I think I was in that band for like a year and a half. Was it um, really that long? Yeah. The yeah first, okay. Right up until the day that they recorded the EP. Yeah, right. And it was kind of a mutual thing of like, yeah, I'm done. And they were like, yeah, you're not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, awesome. yeah, that's all good then, fellas. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. No harm, um, no foul. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, they obviously went on to do their thing. Not exactly my cup of tea, but they, you know, they did it. And it was they were like they did well. And um, yeah. then after that, I guess, because I think like, during that I was still, you know, I was still only 18, I think, doing that. And then sort of during that time was when I was getting much, much more into like hardcore, hardcore, not yep. metal hardcore, not emotional hardcore, like fucking 80s hardcore. And yeah, even I guess more metalcore stuff or whatever. But and I just didn't want to do that music and I wasn't keen on like wearing black t-shirts with black jeans and studded belts. Yeah. You know? I wasn't, I didn't want to go that way. I was much more like camo shorts and a band t-shirt with big X's on my hand type oh, shit. Yep. 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 <laughs> um, and then, yeah. So after that I did, uh, I can't even remember. I'm trying to remember the fucking. So were you in, was it, was it world's greatest band or greatest band of the world? Oh, Great, greatest band ever. That's right. That was a band that was me, Footy, Dougie, uh, Sean, and who else was in the band? No, I think that. Oh, and Tim, Tim, who ended up was in Back on Track as well. Um, this was just a dumb band that we started doing, like just hacking around at Footy's house. Yeah, and. It kind of—it was just like a dumb band we sit, we did. We played a handful of shows, but it was more just like we just wanted to do a stupid band and just started playing shows and whatnot. But then it got a bit too stupid, um, and then we started back, which was about half it, which was like Sean, me, and Tim. Yep. And all we ever did was a demo and like maybe 10, 15 shows. But that was the first like it was the first band I sang in. And, yeah, I guess the first real band that I had a lot more control and influence on, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. And then how did that kind of morph into Jungle Fever? I really can't remember. I think we had a bit of a lineup change because we had Megan. She was playing guitar for the beginning. That was my first girlfriend's sister. And then I can't really remember what happened and she left and then we got another guy, Evan, and we played one more show. Um, the only show we ever played was, remember on that American Nightmare tour? You guys did that tour, didn't I you? Wasn't, I wasn't in the band at the time. Ah, I joined, yeah. I, I joined like in March. The tour was in Feb and I joined in about March. That's right. Yeah. So we played our, one, our last show and our only show with the new lineup on like... Maybe not that tour, but that weekend or something, I always okay. remember. Yeah. Um, and then that just kind of fell apart and I was like, ah, fuck it. I want to do something new. Yep. And then that all just started falling into place and, um, yeah, yeah, whatever popped it, off from there. Jungle Fever pop off for four years. <laughs> That's so Hardcore 04. 04, yeah. Get raw on the floor. <laughs> um. Yeah, fucking A. So what 
what was the what was the gateway drug? I guess well, propaganda was a gateway drug into more hardcore stuff. Mm-hmm. But what was the what was the first band that got you into actual hardcore? Um, I reckon what it was was remember those old Burning Heart comps? Yep, yep. Uh, what were they called? I'm trying to remember. What they? Ah, uh, fuck. I was about to say this is bad taste, but that was a bad. I was taste about to concept. say bad taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> it wasn't in flight program. That was the one with Burning Heart. That was Revelation. Rev. Yeah. Well, that might have been it. Maybe burn. Maybe. Oh, whatever it was called. Fuck. Why can't I? What song was that? it? But it was the Raise Fist do a Youth of Today cover on one of those. Oh, oh, ones. Youth of Today cover. Yeah, and they cover Flame Still Burns. Okay, right. Um, because then it starts with that. And that like funny raised fist, raised fist voice. Yeah, yeah. Um. And I remember like, I remember really liking raised fist, but I'm like, oh, this is a cover. Well, who's this Youth of Today band? And then going and finding a Youth of Today record, or I oh, know, was that one of their terrible like? Do you remember those Lost and Found records bootlegs that were around? There was a label, a European label called Lost and Found. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And what they were like, they were one of the first labels. Do collations of like old records that were in. Yep. And like left legs and all that kind of stuff. And I remember getting a live Youth of Today CD. And then they covered more bands on that too. Like they covered like Judge and Chromags and stuff. And then so like everything was like that constant, oh, well, who's this? Or who's this band they're covering? Who's that that they're wearing a t shirt of? Who are these bands that they're thanking in their list, in their thanks lists and all that stuff? Um, and that was just constantly just diving as far as I could. You know, like, youth, or not even necessarily older bands, like contemporary bands. Like, so Youth of Today and, like, some live 89 CD or something, they're doing, like, judge covers and they're doing, like, Chromags and that kind of stuff. So it was really, like, contemporary stuff and, like... What do you um, think that was? I really Because, don't like, it's not like you'd see... No, I think it was just, like... You wouldn't, you wouldn't see Hatebreed cover... I mean... Uh, I was, you know, you wouldn't see that nowadays because people think it's hacky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it'd be really weird. Or, like, I, when I have seen yeah. bands do that, like Australian bands covering, like, other... Like, you know, like, the first time you saw, like, some shitty local band do, like, a Parkway cover? Yeah. Or, like, a Prom yep. Queen cover? And it's just like, yep. what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but, I don't know. Maybe in the... <laughs> I mean, 90 New York, it was still a cool thing to do. Or it was like, but it definitely got me into a ton of music, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking a. Yeah, I, I don't know what comp that would have been. I, I, I can't no. think of what comp that would have been it? from that race pistol. No, I don't fucking Google it. What was it called? I need to know. It's fucking kill me. Um, but that was they were all those comps, like we were saying about like um, uh, survival of the fattest. Oh, before. sorry, before you go on, so important. Their comps were called Cheap Shots. Cheap Shots, that's right. Yeah, yes. yeah. You know that way of, like, you'd buy comps because they had bands you already liked on them? Yeah. Which so almost sounds like a bet. weird thing. Which also, yeah, it sort of sounds like a weird thing. Like, I remember that in-flight program was the same thing. Like, I remember getting into, like, all, well, that, yeah, that was another thing because that's got all those rev bands on it, like, the, you know. Yeah. You know, get some charge and use it today and stuff on it. And I but bought then it that has body it had a, a no fun at all song that I oh, yeah and like a no fun at all song that I already like. Yeah, Master Celebrator. <laughs> so it was this real thing of that of like just buying 
I mean, I guess you're like, well, I guess there's going to be more stuff I like on here. So, but that was yeah, absolutely yeah. crucial at the time. And was, you know, I'm sure it was for you too. Yeah, those comps were pretty much everything. God, I'm just, oh, I'm just getting these weird swirling things of like old comps coming into my head, like the, <laughs> the fearless flush compilation and uh, and the um, cinema beer, cinema beer, nuts, nuts. Cinema beer yep. goggles, and the videos that went along with it. That's right. That was another thing. Yep. One of them had like a strife video and an ignite video and that kind of shit and. Yeah, Cinema Beer Nuts 2. Yep. And so Sorry, Cinema Beer Nuts, yeah, number two. Yeah, yeah. and so so many of those And things, it had like... It's just that it constant it flow had like, of stuff coming through and like, you know... Yeah. Like, or, or hardcore being on the periphery of that and then you're going, oh, wow, what's this Strife band? They're fucking mental. Yeah. But it was so... It was those comps, like especially the Cinema Beer Nuts stuff because it was like you had... There was no consistency with the label. Mm-hmm. Because it was, there'd be Burning Heart stuff, but then there'd be Nitro Record stuff. Yeah. But then there'd be oh, Ignite. Nitro. And Nitro then there'd Rick be Less Than Jake. Punk? Oh, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Sort of big, uh, sorry, sort of jelly beans and yeah, all that mad shit. Hell yeah. Yeah, fucking A. So Ray's Fist with the gate with the gateway into something to the heart, to actual hardcore. Probably, I reckon. <clears throat> Them and, oh, maybe like 59 times of pain. Yeah. Because they were another band like that that were like – and it's funny as well because they were sort of bands that like, got me into stuff and then the more I got into other stuff, the more I was like, oh, this other stuff's way better than these Swedish bands. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like I was always yeah, like, I really true. liked Race Fist for a couple of years and then I remember going back to them a few years later and being like, oh, this is terrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's not awful, but it's like comparatively to the stuff that it got me into, it's yeah. like – doesn't hold a candle to the bands that they were trying to be. But then they obviously went off and did their own thing, which was much better than them trying to be yeah. an 80s hardcore band. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. See? So, Jungle Fever, like, tell me about that. Because, look, like, I was a massive fan of the band before I joined it. So yeah. I feel like I was really lucky to be a part of it in its, you know, second half. But when that's in why my opinion, really Jungle <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> but, like, you know, in my opinion, Jungle Fever... Like Jungle Fever and Last Nerve um, were really important bands because it was at a time when almost every band in Australia was either a metalcore band, yep. not there's anything wrong with it, or oh, sorry, yeah, a metalcore band, or they were a some kind of old sounding Sydney band. Well, old sounding Sydney yeah. band, yeah, that's true, yeah, or or they were like. You know, like, and I play in Irrelevant now, but they like they sounded like Irrelevant. Oh, yeah, like they yeah, were melo- yeah. a melodic hardcore Definitely. band or like a, yeah, a melodic emo band or whatever. Yeah. Like, and Jungle Fever and Last Nerve were the two bands that were like, no, 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 we're doing something different. Yeah. And Taken Sides yeah, as well. Yeah, totally. like, well, I think, especially yeah. Last Nerve for me, particularly, like, I was really starting to go up. I was like traveling a lot during that time and I was coming to Sydney all the time during that, that sort of early Last Nerve period. And I'd become mates yeah. with Dave and stuff like, sort of. Oh, I can't even remember. How did I meet Dave? He came on tour with a restraint, I think, to Adelaide, and we kept in contact. Yeah, it's when the, I think when they that, had the car crash. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and because I remember yeah. I was wearing some band T-shirt, and Dave just being like, "What?" Like in that very Dave way of being like, "Yeah, yep." Fuck, does the Adelaide kids know about this? And we just became mates straight away, like because I was wearing like a floor punch hoodie or something. Yeah. And um. And then he was, I remember being like, I'll oh, send you my band's, you know, demo or whatever and you should come see us play. And so I went up to Sydney and saw their first show. Um, At Hardcore 02? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. I just or maybe got, 03. No, it would have been 02 because I'd just gotten back yeah. from the States, I think. 
um, from my first trip there. And um, I'm pretty sure it was that weekend. And um, But, yeah, that, that, them in particular were, very, were really important for me because they, they at that point, the yeah, like you were saying, like all the bands at that time were either going for much more of a, like, a mosh metal thing or a melodic hardcore thing. And, yeah. or, yeah, like we were saying, like, old Sydney sounding stuff that hadn't changed since 1988 or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And to, like, I remember talking with Dave about this. Like, it was like, yeah, we loved old hardcore, but we also loved the new bands that were sounding like old hardcore. So it was yeah, very much yeah. during that time of, like, early 2000s of, like, you know, you'd had that wave of late 90s stuff of, like, you know, yeah, Floor Punch and your Myers and Ten Yard Fight. Yeah, all yeah. that Boston sort of sounding stuff. But then by the early 2000s, it was... Um, <laughs> Yeah, American Nightmares coming out. Um, all that, yeah, all that, just, just that that next next wave of stuff coming out that I, I was so into. And yeah, um, yeah, like Last Nerve played that kind of hardcore, and then I was like, "Fuck, I want to do this too." And I mean, Back on Track was a bit of a an attempt at doing that, but we were just terrible. Um, yeah. And then once, you know, Jungle Fever got together, and you know, because Jigsy was in the band, Jigsy's a proper guitarist, not just me, like trying to write yeah. power chord riffs in my bedroom or whatever. Um, and, yeah, just sort of becoming something, yeah, just 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 wanting to do, and very much real, like recognising that, like, no one else is doing this in Australia. Like, this isn't what yeah. kids here, like, make or listen to or whatever. And it was like, this is what I do. This is what I wanted to make. This is the music I wanted to, like, it was very much a, like, this doesn't exist, so I'm going to have to bloody do it myself. Yeah, sort of thing, so I'll you know? do it myself. Yeah, I yeah. know. Oh, it's what I've always thought. Yeah. Totally. And and not only just the sound of the music, but the approach to doing a band as well. And and I think, like, music aside, with that band to me, it was, like, the most fulfilling thing. It was always that, like, we always did that band on our own terms. Like, yeah, um, we ran it in the way that we wanted to. We only played the shows that we wanted to. We didn't let anyone else tell us what to do, you know, good or bad. You know, like it was this was this was for yeah. us. This was us doing it in the way that we wanted to. And if that impinged on our, impeded our, our success, quote unquote, well, who cares? We're not there to fucking sell out arenas. We're there here to do yeah. what we do. And and it was that thing of being able to play in some cunt's fucking basement one night, and then play with parkway to 1500 people the next night and each yeah. are just as comfortable as the other yeah and um yeah that's that's the thing i'm the most proud about yeah it was a yeah again like it was a fan before i joined the band and it was it was pretty special to watch yeah yeah oh it was brilliant to have you in the band you <laughs> doubled yeah. our sound it was great <laughs> it was a sick time Fuck yeah. yeah i mean fuck we did some like what were some highlights of doing jungle fever like like not, and I mean, obviously everything that you said, you like everything. The fact you you guys did it your own way, yeah. that's that's an accomplishment in itself. But like, what are some, what are some things that you you know you can tell your grandkids and they won't care about, but you'll care about. <laughs> um, I don't know. That sick of it all too was really fun. That was like yeah. at the end, and that was more like, um, like it was just kind of cool to f like, like I never did bands to do that kind of stuff, and because yeah. I was I was never like. You know, people would be like, oh, if you do this, you know, if you sort of do this, maybe you might get on this tour. And I'm like, I'm not changing what we fucking do yep. to impress someone else who's going to put us on a tour. And even, you know, half the people doing the tours are like our mates anyway. You know, yep. it's like, you know, Graz is doing the doing the tour or whatever and 
people like, oh, you know, it's like, it's not who we are. But then when we when we got to do that Sick of It All tour, which, you know, there was only like, what, three or four shows. No, no, it was a fair few. Yeah, but it was good. Yeah. But it was really good. Yeah, it was, I would say there was, yeah, it was probably five or six. Yeah. And that was yeah. that was great fun, and to meet them, and you know, they were one of the first hardcore bands I got into, and um, yep. big fan, and yeah, that was great. Um, I don't know, I always liked playing those big stupid Australian festivals because yeah. I liked how different we were able to be on those shows. Like, yeah, like I said before, like I like how we were able to do everything on our own terms. There's something fulfilling about getting up on a stage of a two-day fest with like. 20 bands that are all like mosh bands of some description and then just get up and be completely different to them was always good fun. And not yeah, just in yeah, terms of absolutely. the music we'd play, but how we'd act, the fun that we'd yeah. have. It'd be like, you know, you could be a fuckhead and, you know, you know, it's just like there's no pretensions with that stuff. Yeah. And I don't, you don't need to, you know, put on a tough cunt face or have all your pre, pre-planned pre lines that you're going to shout at the crowd or anything. It's just like... Well, good day, cunts. What's going on? You know, yeah, like <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, and, and that was that's that's the thing that I, I, I think I had the most fun with. Yeah, it was fucking great. Yeah. All right, so so do we pick a song? Well, I don't have any hardcore songs to play. <laughs> okay, so what are you going to go with? Then? Well, the next song I'm going to play um, is a song. Uh, it's a hip hop song from 2002. Okay, uh, okay. it's called Grindin'. By an artist called The Clips, which is a duo of two brothers, um, and I've chosen this one because when I went to the States for the first time in 2002, which is when the song came out, um, yeah, it was the first time I'd been um, I'd, the first time I'd been to the States, and I'd sort of gone over. You know, I went to like a bunch of fests and saw heaps of bands. It's like you know that first Chromax tour that playing for the first time in 10 years in New York and all this kind wow. of shit. I saw some really fucking cool bands and whatever. And, and that was brilliant in its own way. But on the flip side, like I spent a lot of time in DC on that first trip and going around to shows and all that kind of stuff and just listening to heaps and heaps of American radio. And we, you know how American radio is like, like they flog songs to death. Like, oh, it's, like it's play, insane. They will play a song, with the same song, three times in an hour if that's the song yeah. that they're, they're flogging. And if you're in, a, pushing, if you're in yeah. a dense area or if you're in an area between cities, you're getting like 40 radio stations. Yeah. And so we'd be driving, you know, you know, on these sort of longer drives around that sort of mid-Atlantic sort of area and just flicking between the hip-hop stations and just hit, like if you don't like a song, you can't escape from it. <laughs> Like, yeah. you just yeah. you change the station, it's there. You change it again, it's there. And this song was was like that um, at, at that time. Like, it was the song of the summer. Well, many songs of the but, um And it just infected my brain and really got me hard out back into rap again. Like, I'd always liked rap to varying degrees since I was a kid, but I'd always sort of liked older rap or like, like it was always like, Oh, like 80s rap or like early 90s rap or whatever and this was the first time that I was really like oh there's fucking great shit coming out right now so I can just a song that's yeah. and um this song like it's uh by the Neptunes like Pharrell 
this guy checking oh, it, and it was like one okay, of their yeah, first yeah. real big breakout hits and because for a couple of years they were producing just like like they were a genuine hit factory like they did half that first Justin Timberlake album they were doing yeah. like those Nelly Hot in Here all those singles they're just popping them out and they're so good they still hold up really well with time but this is a really like um, it's it's a really sparse pro- really it's it's a really initially simple sounding production because it's all percussive like it's all there's no like like it's all just percussive sounds but a whole lot of different yeah. ones and it's really like i don't know if you don't know you'll hear it and it's just it'll it'll stick in your head it's like a beat that you just want to bang on a table or like just hummed constantly like cannot get out of your head and um yeah i think this this song really represents a change for me of of when I just started like getting very into the current hip hop of the time. And I remember coming home and just being like, you know, for the next five years, it's on nothing but fucking downloading and buying rap CDs. Oh yeah, this is probably still buying CDs too, rather than downloading and buying rap yeah. magazines and just getting all like, you know, as, as, as much as I was into hardcore and stuff at the time, that was a real mark of like really branching out and getting into other stuff as much as I was into hardcore. And it began with hip hop and, you know, obviously became a lot of other kinds of music too, but, this is just the point where I'm like, oh, this fucking rules. Yo, yo, yo. I go by the name, name of Pharrell, from the Neptunes, and I just want to let y'all know, I'm your pusher. The world, the world is about to feel, about to feel something, something that they never, they never felt before. Ghetto to ghetto, the backyard to yard, I sell it whip one whip, and soft to hard, I'm the neighborhood pusher, call me subwoofer, cause I pump bass like that jack, on the off the track, I'm heavy cuz, ball to your fathers, you can duck to the Fetty Gov, sorry my love, but I'm seeing through these eyes, Benz convoys with the wagon on the side, only big boys keep deuces on the ride, Gucci Chuck Taylor with the dragon on the side, man, I make a buck while I scram, I'm trying to show y'all who the fuck I am. Jews is flirting, be damned if I'm hurting. Legend in two games like I'm Pee Wee Kirkland. Platinum on the block with consistent hits. While Pharrell keep talking this music. Keep 
better stay in line with seeing like me shining. My grind's about family, never been about fame. Some days I wasn't able, there was always four and a half or get you in the game. Anything less is just a damn shame. Guess the way my watch got blue chips in the face. With two tips, whoever gets in the way. Not to mention a hideaway that rests by the lake. Consider my raw demeanor, the icing on the cake. I'm, I'm grinding. Like a cripple. Balance way through the hood. Kids call me Mr. Sniffles. Other hand on my nickel. Plated whistle. One eye closed, I'll hit you. As if I was slick, Rick. My aim is still an issue. Lose your soul in whichever palm I'm holding. One will leave you frozen. The other nodding, dozing. I'm grinding, Jack. This, this song was like their first breakout hit and it was huge. Like, it was just like, like seriously, you just could not escape this song that whole time was in the States. Um, so this really, really represents that time for me. It was like my, it's, it's been my ringtone for like the past five years. Like, just like, <laughs> that's just, awesome. this beat just sticks in my fucking head. And sometimes I even hear it and I get like, you know, like triggered flashbacks from like avoiding debt collectors whenever my phone rings, whenever I hear it and stuff. <laughs> That's so good. So it's, um, yeah, I fucking love this song. I fucking love this song. And it's entirely about selling cocaine. And the more you listen to it, there's actually a lot more subtle stuff that you don't see at first in there. But at first, it's just that driving. Yeah. And it's seriously like all the lyrics are just these grimy shit about fucking like buying and selling cocaine. <laughs> so where are they from? Uh, they're from Virginia Beach. And yeah, I, I spent quite a bit of time around like in DC, Virginia, Baltimore sort of area around there too. So it's kind of, there's another thing about that trip. Like it was, um, well, and, you know, I went back a year later and it was really that thing of, of understanding it a lot more when you've been to a place, you know, like, yeah. like I'm sure with any music, like the, 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 the environment shapes the music you make. And especially with hip hop, I think to visit, the American cities that these, that all this music comes from, it all makes a lot more sense. It's 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 a fantastic thing. Like it's, I mean, you can use the analogy with like hardcore. Mm. Like even though they they sound nothing similar, mm. but like you can you can listen to hardcore and go, oh okay, well yeah, that's that's obviously derivative of LA or New oh, York totally. or Boston yeah. or or Detroit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And like you know, Agnostic Front makes a lot more sense when you've like been in grimy New York streets or, you know, Descendants makes more sense when you've seen the sprawling Southern California and, you know. Yeah. So I guess, like, so this is the weird part where we kind of, you know, we jump from, like, to we jump from, you know, your 20s to, to now. Like, yeah. How did, like, music's obviously changed, like, in every sense of how you, how you take it in and how you, I guess what you do with it like where are you at with music now what's your relationship like um probably where it's always been like it's just music has always been my art of choice like 
Yep. I'm not a big TV guy. I don't have the attention span to even watch hardly any movies anymore. Um, you know, music's always just been the thing that, like, I listen to music all day. I listen to music at any any opportunity I can. Um, so I think a lot of it's just been that, like, I've always been really musically curious. Yeah. Like, I, I've never stuck to one thing. It's always been about, like, I mean, I think the more I think about it, like, both hardcore and hip-hop have both taught me that idea of, like, digging. Yep. And, yeah. And, you know, with hardcore, it's much more like finding unexplored corners do like. You know, like, oh, I like New York hardcore, so oh, I'm going to find every fucking random demo that a band that played two shows made because why not? Yep, you know, yep. I want everything. But, but then I think hip-hop is similar but a different different degree that's much more about, like you know, that digging for samples or digging for sounds and stuff is much more about, like, other things around something that have a relationship to it. So for me, um, like, hip-hop especially, like, really got me into well, all the stuff that's that's sampled or influenced by, by in its time. So, you know, going back, hip-hop got me into soul music, funk music, disco music, yeah. reggae music. Like, all this stuff that I listen to now is probably all sort of that way, like oh, what's this sample in a fucking Mob Deep song? Oh, okay, it's, you know, this. Oh, oh, what are all these old James Brown samples? Oh, wow. You know, like that real constantly looking for more shit. And, um, yeah, probably the past 10, 15 or so years has just been that for me, like constantly looking for more shit that I like um, across all genres. And, And I think as well the older I get, it's it's not really about genre anymore. It's much more about vibe or like okay. mood or, you know, those kind of things. So, you know, to be put, I'm like, I'm a grumpy fucking 36 year old man. Like I don't listen yeah. to fast, heavy, angry music in the same way I used to. Like, yeah, you know, I still yeah. do to whatever degree, but you know, when I was however old, 15, 20, 20 something, you know, yeah. you just want to listen to fucking uh, any you know, no fun at all, or sepultura, or anything that's just oh. like because it's filling that need yep. that you have at that age. A, but yeah, but the older I get, that's not a not not the mood I'm in anymore. You know, like like I don't. I'm, I'm trying to slow my brain down, not speed it up anymore. You know, so that's how I got into dance music. That's how I got into reggae music. That's how I, you know got into 80s British stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff because it's all on different vibes. And, you know, when you've had a kind of a day at work and you're all tired and rooted, the last thing I want to do is listen to, like, I don't know, fast, snotty punk. <laughs> yeah. I'm much more in a, like, oh, I want to listen to something slow or something groovy or, you know. So, yeah, music to me is just, like, it, it really is everything and, I mean, I love new music. I love, I'm constantly getting into newer music, old music, whatever, new genres. How, how are you finding, like, you know, you, you mentioned about, like, listening to old samples and that mm. kind of thing, but how are you finding new music? Like, how are you, um, like, when, you, when you're when young mm. or when you when we were younger, the way you listen to new music was you'd buy, hypothetically, the No Effects album yep. and see Fat Mike's wearing a snuff shirt. So you go, oh, well, let's, let's check out this snuff thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. like... So how do you do it nowadays? What's the what's the what's the pathway? Well, I think that's something that's also changed over time. Like as you know, because I I um 
I I I don't get sentimental about the physicality or the delivery of music. Like I'm I stopped collecting records fucking years ago. I couldn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. Um yeah. I I don't need that sort of collector or consumer side of music like I used to. And yeah, so for, sure. for me a big thing was like every stage of technology that's changed along the way, I've 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 tried to keep up on um rather than resist. So I think that yep. um you know, remember back in the early two thousands there were those cheap C D shops? Yeah, yeah, like five, every, was yeah, weird, was five bucks. And it was and only a weird window that only lasted for three or four years because, like, uh, downloading probably killed it off. Yeah. But in that early, mid-2000s, there was that thing where you could just go to a shop and buy CDs for five, ten bucks. Because they're all, I think they're all grey imports. Yeah. So, like, it goes back to that, five, you know, that $2 tape in Indo yeah, or, yeah. or wherever. Exactly. It was that, but in CD form, that someone just shipped over by their container. Totally. And so yeah. I remember, you know, mid-2000s or whatever, buying or early 2000s, like like when a CD costs $5, you just take a punt and you come out there with 20 CDs, you know? like. Yeah. And I remember yeah. that at that time it was like I was just – I was getting really into like, you know, probably late 70s, or like 80s British stuff, you know, Joy Division, New Order, that kind of vibe. Um, yeah. And then getting into that kind of stuff through that way and then – when downloading became like a huge thing, I'm just downloading anything. Like, and with things, you know, depending on what you're downloading from, like something, I don't know if you ever use SoulSeek much, but you can go through people's files. So if you find something you like, you go, yeah. oh, I wonder what else they got in here. And it's a bit like going yeah, through someone's yeah. record collection and just borrowing all and just the, taping it. all the yeah. things you want out of it. And then, um, and I, Got a, I, just, I just bought a new computer a couple of months ago and I, I was in the process of like putting all my mp3s off the past three computers onto the like a big hard drive to save them all and yep. like fucking hell, i've got like 150 gig worth of just like everything i've ever downloaded here, like constantly yeah and um but then when spotify came out like that was like i before streaming i was like why would you want to stream anything i just download it and then as yeah. soon as you understand yep. how it works it's like oh okay yeah. And so then Spotify for the past five, six years for me has just been like where I get everything from because it's just an eternal jukebox. It doesn't, yep. it doesn't hurt. It doesn't – like nothing – there's nothing to stop you from listening to everything that's on there. Yeah, you've got no reason not to. So like I remember when um they when they announced that, they, that Apple well, – they that Apple were going to kill off the iPod. Yeah. And people were freaking the fuck mm. out. Oh, what am I going to do with music? Yeah. Oh, I've got all this. It's like, you know what? Hit delete. Yeah. Just delete it because it's all there. Yeah. Like unless you're some like um, Grateful Dead, you know, rare bootleg collector dude, whatever, yeah. then it's, you know. Or I've still then got most... tons of old, you know, like all my old hardcore stuff that's never going to be on there, like random demos. Yeah. And that's all. I've all still got all that. But it's like, but to be honest, I'm not listening to that all the time. So Yeah, <laughs> but, that's true. And just the way it works and, and the way that the algorithm works, the way that it, it suggests you stuff based on what you're listening to, yeah. It's everything I've ever wanted. So I go through, you know, yep. and, and when you do... And that algorithm is more misses, sorry, more hits than misses, I find. Oh, yeah, totally. And the more you use it, the more fine-tuned it gets. So yeah. I've gotten to a point where, like, you know, every week that, you know, dis- Discover weekly thing yep. or, you know, yep. the new releases or the albums that re- it recommends you, it's like I listen to it all. Like it's, it's you know, it's like someone 
just looking at what you like and going, oh, you'd like this too. Oh, would you like this? Yeah. Oh, wherever. And you don't always. It's the ultimate. Big, it's almost like it's the ultimate Big Brother. Yeah. Like no, and not Big Brother in the 1984 sense, yeah, but yeah, like yeah, the Big yeah. Brother as in like, yeah, someone looking over your shoulder going, hey, like. I see. I see you. Well, in a way, it is a bit 1984 because it is going through all. Well, of that your too. Shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's watching every move you yeah. make. Yeah. But giving you the tailor made, and you know, and and Spotify is like people are like oh heaps of stuff's not on there, and I'm like yeah, but heaps of stuff is too. Like it's yeah. why I've never been like if you compare it to say Netflix, I'm like there's nothing on here. Like I was, yeah. I was hoping Netflix would be Spotify for for movies, but it's not. Yeah, but, but then it's definitely not Spotify. Like so, tons of genres that I that I listen to that I don't actually know a lot of other people that are into, or I don't, I'm not connected to. So like, say house music or old disco, or I like, I listen to heaps of reggae and that kind of stuff is is perfect for that because you just trawl through every yeah. recommended thing, and if you don't like it, well, fucking who cares? Click next, listen yeah. to the next one, and. Yeah. So it really fills this whole, you know, and so you can be listening to a song that came out this afternoon or a song that came out 40 years ago in the same yeah. in the same sitting without yeah. even thinking about Which it. Just yeah, next yeah, in the next song of the playlist. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's a it's a hell of a it's a hell of a tool. Oh, I love it. I, I, and yeah. and I really like I like when people sort of bitch and moan about it, like oh kids don't get into the stuff the same way as I did, and it's like well, good. They get into, st- yeah. you know, it's not bloody 1990-something, you know. It's it's yep. now. Kids don't – or, like, you can't get mad that kids aren't listening to the same music as you did because then you just sound like your fucking annoying parents are like, why don't you think the Beatles are the best band ever too? Yeah. Because like, I don't give a fucking shit. Like, yeah. you, you can almost understand when, like, um, you know, my my relationship with quote-unquote – and I'm going to call them SoundCloud rappers, yeah. but I don't know if there's a better term, but let's call it yeah. that. Like, when someone comes out – some young kid comes out and goes, you know, I don't get Tupac, mm. whatever. And you just go, at first you're like, what do you mean? Yeah. And then you go, you know what? Tupac was 30 years exactly. ago. Exactly. Like, and I've heard, or, you I've, know, I've definitely yeah. seen a lot of things about, like, you know, some kid that is literally like an 18 year old kid. And yeah. some older guy's like, what's your favorite Wu Tang song? And he's like, I've never heard Wu Tang. And they're like, yeah, whoa. It's like, and it's like, why yeah. the fuck would they? Like, Wu Tang's from 1994. Yeah. Like, yeah, like these cunts were born in like two thousand. Like, we're saying yeah. we're heaps back by then. Like, yeah, um, yeah, totally. And and you can't get sentimental about it in terms of how things have changed. You know, like, yeah. Um, and kids now have a you know, whereas we might have listened to the Michael Jackson song a thousand times, uh, tape a thousand times in a row. You know in our Walkman or whatever. Just kids, yeah, kids Walkman. don't do that. Why would they? Like, they they listen to. Whatever they do, you know, and they can keep looking for shit. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. I love it. I I and I've got like I um do a lot of my listening either on my phone or I rigged up like my old hi fi system, like an old seventies hi fi system to my computer. And so I've yep. got like this wicked EQ program that makes it sound great. And it sounds better than anything. So yeah. And so I've got the I've, I because I really use Spotify a lot. Like I've got shit tons of playlists. Like I constantly make playlists, like never ending playlists in different vibes or genres or moods or whatever. Um, yeah. So I can just just throw any of them on shuffle and I got a, I got you know a few playlists that have got days worth of music on them. Yeah. And then there you go, chuck that it's on the insane. background and you're certain. <laughs> and and yeah, gone gone is that like. Let me let me take in this album, listen to it thirty times. It's like no, no, no yeah. it'll 
one song will appear every now and then. Yeah, and I mean, sure, that yeah. changes, but like, especially with a lot of modern now, like a lot of modern music isn't made in album format. So you don't actually like, you know, sure you go back and listen to older stuff as albums, but newer stuff is 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 different and it's made differently and it's made to be consumed differently. So, you know, like say the new Drake album came out a few months ago. It's like 24 fucking songs. I'm not going to sit down and listen to them all in a row. I'm going to pick out the ones I like and then, you know. Was was there a, um, you know, to bring it around to the singles conversation we had a while ago, mm. was, was there a marketing ploy to why that had 24 songs? Like, were the songs really short? Like, was there some? Was there something about the fact that, the, yeah, he had that many songs on an album that didn't need to be? From what I have heard, a lot of it actually comes down to the way that the payment of streaming works. And so right, that okay. if you have more songs on an album, something to do with just the way that people naturally will listen to that will pay you more money. Right, Because okay. if you stick an extra four songs on the end of a record or something, that's four songs that people are going to listen to. That's four extra plays yep. times however many million, times yeah, however many right. points something of a cent, but that works out in time and in volume. You know, especially a Drake album, it's going to be the biggest thing that happens for a month. Yeah. Those extra... And, I mean, my biggest one of my biggest problems with Drake is all his albums are fucking about eight songs too long, <laughs> which then is a problem, like, you know, in a way. But it makes them the money, so... I think that's just how it works. Yeah. Which is... Well, uh, good people are yeah. working the system. Yeah. Well, got to get paid somehow because I'm not paying them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. Like 15... Yeah, you just think of... Say you pay 15... I think I pay 18 bucks so I can have like multiple accounts, yeah. but that's... You know, that's not... A, that's a CD a month. Yeah. That's... And yeah, there was a time when... I, there up. was a time when I was buying at least 20 CDs a month. Oh, dude, like, yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that's how it changes, and I love it. You know, can't winch. <laughs> fucking a. So, what's the song that? What's the song that um, sums up Gabe Delaney in twenty eighteen? Well, this song is a song called. Fuck, I wrote it down. Here we are. It's a song by a singer called Gwen McRae, who had okay. quite a big career, but um, like a sort of across a bunch of black genres, I guess, from the early 70s, probably to current. And she, I think she's about 70 or something now. But um, this was a bit of a lesser-known song called Keep the Fire Burning um, okay. from 1982. Um, I really don't know how I discovered this song. Like, it was either probably on a DJ mix or I, I don't know, on a compilation or I Shazammed it somewhere or whatever, but it's like just a song that I don't know how I discovered, but I just, I, I listen to it daily almost. Um, or I listen to it at the beginning. I listen to it on a playlist I've got that's on shuffle and I start with that song, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so that makes, it does make sense. Start with a song and let it take you wherever. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, it's like early R&B, post-disco kind of that that sort of, like maybe like early Michael Jackson sort of sounding stuff, that sort of era and sound. Um, and just very funky, very dance floor kind of sounding. Um, yeah, just, I mean, it's the kind of thing I listen to on the whole. I was going to play some reggae, but I couldn't be bothered picking what I wanted. This song's too good, so... Um, but yeah, when I when I sort of look at all the all the music I listen to, it's like I like groove, I like repetition, 
I like, you know, riffs more than I like melody. Like I like beat, I like bass. Um, and more so the older I get, which, you know, is probably, which is, you know, it's the same reason I like, I like disco for the same reason I like thrash metal. Like okay. they might not sound the same, but they're both very repetitious and they lock into a groove or, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, you know, New York hardcore and reggae, you might not think they're the same, or they're not, but then, but they they have very similar you know, think about traits. Almost. Yeah, think about the way that a Madball song like bounces along, in a yeah, way that other yep. sort of stuff doesn't. And then that's what I like from it. You know, yeah. whereas some people like might like the heaviness or they like the lyrics or whatever. And for me, it's like I like that groove. And so for me, it's the same sort of groove across genres because it's much more about a vibe than a particular sound. So. Yeah, this is just a song. This is this is a good representation of the kind of shit I listen to these days. So, yeah, I wanted to play something new, but this is too good. That was just perfect. Because <laughs> fucking yeah, a, I didn't want to be one of those old bastards like, oh, new music sucks. And I love new music across plenty of genres, pop, rap, whatever. But yeah, Gwen McRae, keep the fire burning, and the, the, fire burning. the UK club remix if you can find it. It's on Spotify. Cool. Sweet We'll throw it in there. We'll make it happy. UK remix. And I remember because I remember when you when you interviewed uh, Kelly. He was. Oh yes, yes. You, meant, you said something about like, oh, you're going to interview me and got to play something funky. So here you go. This is it. <laughs> this is the one. Hey, this was just as good. This is even better than I oh, imagined hell yeah, it would man. be. Dude, I you yeah. know me. I'll fucking talk for another five hours if you don't shut me up. Yeah. So honestly. Thank you so much for doing yeah, this, and yeah, I'm man. fucking stoked we got to oh, sort it all out eventually. Dude, it's been a year in the making, and I, dude, I, you, yeah. I cannot explain how much I have been thinking about this. Like Sick. for a year, like I've, like I remember you told me just before I went to Hong Kong last year, and I'm walking around Hong Kong, just think like thinking about what songs I want to play on the podcast. That's <laughs> so I've been back to good. Hong Kong since, and I was doing it again. So it's like that's awesome. Yeah. No, I, it's been great. Thanks so much, man. Can you feel that? You gotta ride it, baby. 
So thanks for listening. Um, you know, if you thought this episode was worth a dollar, you know what to do. You go to paypal.com slash myagepodcast and you send me a dollar. If you don't have to, there's no, you know, there's no written contract to say you need to send me a dollar. But, you know, if you think this was worth a dollar of my time and your time, um, send it on. It's always appreciated. It's never expected. If you do it, I love you. If you don't do it, I still love you. It's all good. Um, a second time this year I've had to close out with a different song um, rather than the standard Lenny Cullen song I close out with um, yeah rest in peace with your tail don't miss you mate take it easy stay safe everybody okay take it out
best thing.